Blog Talk Radio. This is Mark Grace, and you're listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sandpeed. Hello there, and welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, New York Sports Talk Radio show and podcast, episode number 3.28, recording live in Bayside, New York, Comac, New York, and Freehold, New Jersey. It is Thursday night. It is 9.30 p.m. It is July the 19th. It is time for Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete. I am Sam Pete. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, we got a huge show. Uh, Ted Berg from uh, SNY.TV and TedQuarters.net and Mostly Mets Podcast and The Baseball Show. And I think he did a guest spot on Barney Miller recently. He's everywhere. Uh, Ted Berg is going to join us in the 10 o'clock hour uh, to talk about the Mets, talk about the Jets, talk about sandwiches, talk about uh, his trip to Buffalo, uh, talk about Matt Harvey, uh, maybe even uh, talk about you and me, talk about all the good things that... Wait, no. That's no good. Uh, so without further ado, let's get right to it. We're going to talk about Jeremy Lin. We're going to talk about uh, uh, San Antonio Holmes and taking on the media, bad idea genes. Lots to get to. And of course, the fun load tonight is going to be a little different. The RTU fun load. The Bishop, Pop Culture PJ, the producer of the show, is going to be taking over that segment. We're giving him his own segment. It's time time it's it's an idea whose time has come uh but uh, before we can do any of that uh i have to welcome in uh, the co-host of the show the cow to my sam pete mr mr brian calniva Capino caliente hello brian steven yeah it's, wow you my mother no just formal nobody calls me steven unless they're very angry with me well, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen Thomas Anthony San Pietro. I'm kidding. How are you? I'm good. You knew it was bad when you would get the confirmation name in there. Oh. <laughs> that was the only time that was ever used was when I was in a heap of trouble. Part of me thinks that that's the only reason for the confirmation is to throw an extra name in there for when you're in trouble. <laughs> it might be. How are you? How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm well. I'm yeah. Well. How, how are you? I'm I'm excellent. You had a uh, you had a huge week. You were down in AC. Uh, yes. Filming Little Miss Sunshine too. What was what what was happening? That's sure what it felt like. Um, what, what hey what happened? We'll get we to, a, we'll get to Fred Willard. 
But what what happened? Fred Willard was not down in AC, but no. we took the uh, the family took a quick little jaunt down to Atlantic City. My my six year old daughter was was dancing in a in a competition, a national competition, That's at right. the Trump Plaza. Casino and hotel. Casino and hotel, not in the casino, thankfully. No, no, no. she was not in the casino. No, no. But uh, <laughs> her little group that she's been with for about a year, and they've and they've had varying degrees of success at different competitions. Right. And this was kind of like the culmination of the year, the finale, if you will, and uh, and they took home first place in their category. Wow. So we had a nice successful trip to Atlantic City for my daughter. How serious was it? Cal. I mean, you were texting us from there, and so you were at like uh, in the in the RTU chat room with us. And, and so, but uh, seriously, how close? It was Steve Carell wandering around anywhere. Was Greg Kinnear? I mean, how close was it to creepy? It was it was very uncomfortable to walk around with your two kids. <laughs> very uncomfortable, and and being on the boardwalk, I would say after eight o'clock. Right couldn't get the kids into the hotel fast enough. Okay. So you have the A, seedy element of Atlantic City. Yes. B, you have your six-year-old daughter in a dance competition. I'm imagining there were girls of various ages there. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, so you have 15, 16, 17-year-old girls there probably. Running around the hotel in, you know, various different costumes. Right. And... Plenty of middle-aged to older gentlemen who were gambling. Right. Didn't appear to be with a significant other. You can't. You absolutely can't play that music. You can't play that music. You, you have a daughter. From the, yeah, from the guy with a daughter. From the you guy with a daughter. You have a daughter that's about to be 11. You have a daughter. I'm, I'm ashamed of you. There are dances, Cal, I'm sure, where you have to leave. There are there are somewhere you have to just avert your eyes, otherwise it's right. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, especially the ones where they put a pole on stage. Well, let's you know. <laughs> that's a, that's off the boardwalk. Right. That's a, that's in a different location on the boardwalk. In the Not well, very far. No. I tell you what, for some of those seventeen-year-old girls, unfortunately, it's not very far at all. <laughs> might not, might not be very far. Anyway, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Everyone. Yeah, we're all we're works all hard good. at it. She really digs it. And uh, since you have daughters, this is big. This is this is like a you know a, we compared it to uh, going to Copeg, which was a baseball tournament that we played in when we were kids. Well, my father actually, who was there, they were they had made the trip down to Atlantic oh, of City, of course. and uh, he uh, he compared it to Williamsport actually. Right. Right. You know, as, just, as did I, I believe at one point. Right, well, you said Copig, which was Copig no, was a little Copig's a little more regional. I texted Williamsport though. You did text, yes, you did. No, it was it was it's it's great. It's exciting, cool. I'm glad you're back. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we we were only there for for 48 hours, but oof, what a whirlwind. <laughs> With two kids, right? Let me tell you, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, it's a nine-year-old, right? Yeah, and and in-laws and parents too, right? So it was just good times. Little Miss Sunshine too. Well, you missed uh, the Mets uh, destroying the season. No, I did. Well, you you, you were kind enough to keep me posted. <laughs> That's correct. While I was I was I was in the casino, 
you know, I you know, I, I was playing playing the, the slots, you know. You playing? What are you, my grandmother? You playing the slots knife? I was I was playing video poker on the twenty five cent slots. Were you were you smoking Merit Ultralights? I was, yeah. Carlton. <laughs> you had a you had a pack of Pall Malls. I had, yeah. It was. <laughs> you sit there and play the slots. You know who plays the slots? Our producer, the Bishop Pop Culture PJ. Bring him in, then. We should bring him in. We should welcome him in. Peach, how are you, buddy? What's going on? What's going down? There he is. Is he playing himself on? He is playing himself on. That's correct. You did, by the way, Cal, I gotta say, you did, uh, while our producer uh, uh, self-flagellates himself. No, wait. self uh, I don't want to use the M word. You can't see it, but I'm dancing up. I'm dancing up to the mic very slowly. I I I can absolutely picture that. Is there a pole in your living room? Yes. Is that the new workout program that you're on? Stripping to the oldies? What is? What? I currently have a lawsuit going against the P90X people. <laughs> How's that working out? Cal did. By the way, Peach. Cal did one of the funniest things ever. When we started the show tonight, we were getting ready to go on, and we needed quiet. And Cal and I are using FaceTime tonight on our iPads because, I mean, it's been, it's been taken up a notch. Yeah. And also, no one uh, told wife, me. And also, my wife is in bed and doesn't need the iPad. Um, and Cal did one of the funniest things you'll ever see. We needed quiet, and he, he like waved his arms like he was uh, approaching the line of scrimmage, like a quarterback. You know, for the cr- for the crowd to be quiet, it was fantastic. It was really well done, Cal. Really well, well, does that, does because, that work in your house? That that yes. wouldn't work in my house. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't work in my house. My wife needed to run down the hall and slam the door on the kids to let them know that Daddy was doing a show. <laughs> fantastic. So it did work a little bit. You well, you gave the you called an audible at the line. You asked the crowd to be quiet. I had my coordinator go down and, and take care of it. <laughs> Uh, if Paige, I extend what, my arms and bring them up and down like that, my kids will just jump on them and and swing from the arms. That's all. Okay. There'll also be laughter. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest over here. There's a lot of laughter in that house. How are you doing, PJ? I've been laughing. Yeah. <laughs> what's it? No. What's it? What's it to you? That's right. <laughs> PJ, you can't. I have a good sense of humor. You want to make something of it? We will make something. You can't uh, play uh, uh, that music when we're talking about a uh, a six-year-old dance competition. Can't do it. No, I was just when you started to bring up the teenagers and the scantily clad and the older men. That's when I decided yeah. to hit the button. That's fair. Are you excited to uh, take over a segment tonight, PJ? No, completely unprepared. I don't even know what you're talking about. So Fantastic. let's just ride this whole thing straight into the toilet. Fantastic. That's the way we. That's how we do. The love boat. That's how they say it out in Jersey now. That's how we do. That's how we do. By the way, it just we're we're about to get to the big unload. We're going to talk about Jeremy Lin, but Peach, the newsroom is getting shellacked. Have you seen this? With people with people who don't like him. Oh my goodness! Wow, Cal, you may not make it to watch it. I haven't started yet. No good. Well, guess you better you better get there soon. Wow. It is. Have you seen it, Peach? It's getting shellacked. I don't get it. I, I except, I, except I, that it is. It is a very. Uh, it, it is a sort of parade of predictable sorkinisms. 
Well, you know what he's getting killed on the most, Peach, is the conceit of the using the recent past and, and and recent past events and sort of rewriting how they should have been covered. So it's almost and, like... And, oh, I see. Yeah, well, right. you know, the media is very sensitive about being called about being inept. It, it's, we're we're going to talk about that in a little bit because San Antonio Holmes... Doing? A nice segue, Peach. Get off my lawn. Well done. Uh San Antonio Holmes. You didn't even know you were doing it either. I don't even know who the, what a San Antonio Holmes is and how much it costs. <laughs> a lot of money. It's expensive. It's expensive, and it lets you down in a big spot if it's in green. Uh, <laughs> no, San Antonio Holmes uh, uh, lectured. He lectured the New York media about how to do their jobs, and the media, the uh, the media, not pleased. Not pleased. Very. That's the kind of situation where it doesn't even matter if you're right. It's it's you know it's suicide. Yep, you're gonna lose. It's career suicide. If a guy like Chad Pennington can't get away with it, uh, and that's what Samini tweeted, by the way, Cal, and that's what I took issue with. You know, he took a beating today, Rich Samini, who covers the Jets for ESPN.com, and one of the tweets was. Um, you know, he, the, Holmes called out the media. He nailed you guys. He was right. And he called you out for the hacks that you are. And Samini's response was, uh, did he get a journalism degree while he was at Ohio State? Oh, oh right. He, at least when Chad Pennington ripped us, he had a journalism degree or something. Oh, like. okay. So I responded, well, I have a journalism degree. Does that mean I can criticize your work? And also... Can I agree with San Antonio Holmes? And you know what he wrote back? Sure, you can agree with San Antonio Holmes. Didn't address the first question. No. About criticizing his work. So the media gets very sensitive, PJ, and I think uh, uh, think that's what's happening with Newsroom. Like, even the critics are, like, taking it personally. Well, yeah. That's so dopey. It's, well, you know what? Forget them and consult the blogosphere and, and, and see what... No, the blogosphere's a mess real, as well. You think so? It is. Places where I expected the show to be really like, like Alan Siepenwall, who writes the sort of quintessential next-day Mad Men read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Breaking Bad. I don't watch Breaking Bad, but I understand it's fantastic. Just never got into it. He writes like the, sort of the quintessential next-day read for these, like reviews of these episodes. <laughs> I don't care for drug humor. I don't like drug humor. Um, what are you, Nixon? <laughs> um, but uh, Seepenwall is even having a tough time not ripping it, not ripping the show. It's upsetting. See, I really like the backdrop of recent events because... So do I. It's a great touchstone. Not only that, but it's, he he's he's created a fantasy world. It's a fantasy world, but as every event unfolds, the audience can go, I remember what I was doing when that happened, because it's so recent. Exactly, and he's created and a fantasy world you, where it's covered correctly. Yes, then he shows you <laughs> what heroes you would make out of your own media, out of NBC, had they only just maybe done this. Right, well, the, the other problem that people are having is that uh, supposedly, 
not all of it's uh, tremendously accurate. Like the this past week with Gabby Giffords and the whole that whole situation. But uh, she was misreported dead. I remember that. Yes, she she absolutely was. But their their take is that it wasn't. Nobody nobody said why he decided not to do that. Like nobody said why. We're completely spoiling the show, so we'll stop. But the point is, I'm not listening. It's fine. <laughs> the point is, <laughs> Cal tuned us out five minutes ago. The point yeah. is that the, the show's getting killed, and it's upsetting. And I want to talk about it later. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to take this we're gonna take this conversation off the air because it's gonna get uh, it's already it's already too indulgent. It is. It's it's it, but that's it's a shame. Difficult. That's a shame, and I think everybody's making a big mistake on that. I totally agree. Pete, we'll talk to you in a bit. We're gonna do the big on this. Hey, did somebody fix the music? Must have been our producer. Why? Yeah. And thank you for noticing. I also put new towels in the bathroom. I don't know if you saw. <laughs> are these little things? Are these little things around your house that? What's something that you do around your house that goes unappreciated, Cal? Oh man. Oh man. How much laundry? Have? <laughs> right. Is this a two-hour show? Actual laundry. Right. That's right. I it's did, not a little thing. It's an actual no. thing that needs to get done. I did seven loads of laundry yesterday. You could notice, nice. You know, Jeff Foxworthy said something that I thought was real funny. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> File that under things that are never said. Good. I know. He said, he said, you know, I don't know a lot about women, but I do know that if I give my wife a, a bucket of seashells, She's going to put it on the toilet. Because <laughs> that's where they go. Sadly, I have a uh, I have a glass of seashells and rocks. Right. And what? Where, where do they go? Above my toilet. It's very strange. I thought that was real funny. Jeff Foxworthy, here's one for you. That's right. A nod of or a one. cap. All right. Uh, it's time for the big unload. The big unload tonight is not about Jeff Foxworthy, though I think Cal wishes it was. Uh, Jeremy Lin, Cal, Linsanity. It's over. What happened? Why is he gone? Well, it's over here in New York. Y'all y'all fixing for some uh, Linsanity down there in Houston? I'll tell you what, you all are in for something. Okay, uh, you're fixing to have yourself a good time. Okay, Jer- Jeremy Lin's, uh, he's like a player, okay? Maybe they'll say, uh, maybe they'll teach Jeremy Lin to say, put up instead of put away, like my wife is teaching my son to say. Will they put his face or his likeness on a belt buckle down there? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Will we see Jeremy Lin like eight months from now with like a cowboy hat and like a piece of straw, like a poster hanging out of his mouth. I was like, look, he overplayed his hand, Bri. Is there any other way to describe this? He well, overplayed his well, hand. Well, well, now let's, I'm glad you brought this up. Thanks. This seems, like, this seems like an appropriate place to discuss this. Did he overplay his hand? Or was he just looking to get as much money as he possibly could? No. I think the I think the former. I really do. You think I, he you you believe him when he says when he says he he wanted to be here, 
and now you feel like he's stuck in Houston with $28 million. Here's what I think happened. I think that he um, got the initial offer sheet, Okay, signed it, the initial offer from the Rockets. The Knicks came out and immediately said they were going to match it. Immediately. The coach said it. Woodson said it. Um, they immediately said uh, Grunwald said it. They immediately said they were going to match it. Immediately. And it was, it, to me, it was, uh, then he hired a publicist. And to me, it was the old idea of, oh, now I've got you. Like You're definitely going to do that. Maybe I'll go back and I can make myself an extra $9 million. Literally, actually, I don't even think it was nine million. It's like six million, right? Just the last year poison pill, like was it, nine million to fifteen. It's actually the third year. I mean, a uh, third year. That's right. 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 Yeah. Um. It wound up being. A, I think it wound up being another six million dollars. So, Brian, I think he went back to Houston. And was like, look, there's no way they're not going to match. I'm Jeremy Lin. Have you seen my jerseys hanging up? What's up, Jeremy Lin? I'm surprised 17's not in the rafters. Uh, let's just up this a little bit, and worst case scenario, eh, wind up here, and you get yourself Jeremy Lin, and I make you a ton of money in marketing. But that's not him talking. That's his publicist talking now. I think it was him. You think that was him? I think he got a big head and thought, there's no chance they don't match. No chance. They're the Knicks. They throw money around like the Steinbrenners of the 80s. They're the Knicks. Of course they're going to match. I'm Jeremy Lin. Of course, in my scenario, the part of Jeremy Lin is played by Chris Tucker. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Lin! Do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? Actually, my favorite Chris Tucker is from Fifth Element. Corbin! <laughs> Corbin! Corbin! I'm so scared, Corbin! No, he, I, he, I, I think he went big. And now there's all this revisionist history about whether he was going to play in the playoffs. All the veterans told him not to. Jim Dolan told him not to. This is a long-term investment. And the New York media did not hesitate at all. Uh, like, he was gone a day. And the Daily News wrote an article about, you're full of crap, Jeremy Lin, so long. He wasn't even gone, though. It was on Sunday when they were doing this. He hadn't even signed the offer sheet. Or he had signed the offer sheet, and the Knicks had still had... 48 hours to match it. Right. Or, or to sign it. But they hadn't, it, made their, they hadn't made their decision yet. It had started to leak, though, that they weren't going to because they traded for Raymond Felton. Uh, right. Well, well, I, the idea was they traded for Raymond Felton after they found out that Lynn went back to Houston to get more money. Right. But I'm saying that was Saturday night. That was Saturday, right. And then Sunday, you have your first Jeremy Lynn Stinks piece oh, in the New York God. media. People were killing him. He got. I, I read a piece, uh, uh, an article. I, I can't call it a piece. It's not a piece of art. It's no. a. It's a story in the Daily News. But to the but to the writer, I'm sure. It That's was, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Proud of it. All all apologies to Frank Isola. But uh, right, right to the Knicks. But no. But he wrote about how Jeremy Lin now is revising history, and he didn't want to play because he was thinking about a paycheck, and he was thinking about his legacy. And, I have two questions for you, Bri, because we don't talk a lot of basketball, but I'm going to say this again. I have found the NBA offseason to be far more interesting than the regular season, than the actual play. Yeah. I have talked more about the NBA with the guys at work or whatever this offseason than I did for any regular season in history. 
It's been fascinating. I even wrote an article on rtusports.com. I wrote a whole article about uh, uh, Carmelo Anthony and uh, J.R. Smith and how uh, it's sort of silly of them to ever say anything about a player being overpaid. They're in a union. You're in a union. It's unbelievably short-sighted. The last thing that J.R. Smith, who I pointed out on the website, has made $27 million in his playing career. and is a website, don't you? I, I, that's the greatest thing I've ever found. <laughs> Eddie Curry, Cal, $70 million. Unbelievable. In just basketball money. And the best part about Eddie Curry is that most of it is after he's already a bust. (laughs) Like, you already know he's a bust. Most of it is on the Isaiah second contract when he's making $10 million, $11 million, $11 million. For three years, he played like nine games. But anyway. No, J.R. Smith and... And Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony called the contract ridiculous. Now, Carmelo said he was referring to the fact that Houston did that. You know, he was Carmelo was sort of backtracking and saying, no, what I meant was it was ridiculous for Houston to do that, to put the poison pill in so we can't sign him back. What Carmelo meant was he's overpaid. Yeah. He'd be crazy overpaid. And J.R. Smith basically came out and said he'd be ridiculously overpaid. There'd be jealousy in the locker room. For that third year. You can't have him making $15 million a year. And my point was simply, you don't do that to fellow brethren. You never see that in Major League Baseball. You know, because a big contract, no matter how outlandish and ridiculous, is good for everybody in the union. That's true. I mean, the, like like I said I said in the article on uh, R2Sports.com, the last thing that these guys want, Cal is for the owners to get a case of the fiscally responsibles. <laughs> you know, you, you, the contracts in the NBA are already ridiculous. Every guy not named LeBron James is overpaid. So the last thing you want them to do is be like, you know what, you're right. That is ridiculous. And here's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> that contract that you have? Right, I'm not giving you. But anyway, two questions for you about Lynn. One, uh, off the court, do you genuinely uh, or or do you believe him? Not genuinely believe him. That would be redundant. Do you believe him when he says he wanted to be here and he wasn't – he felt unwanted? Um, I believe that he would have preferred to be here, but I I honestly think that – $28 $28 million in Houston is more appealing to him than $24 million in New York. Okay, so follow-up question there. That may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard, considering how much he would stand to make in marketing and on Madison Avenue in New York. Well, but so then you think that he got greedy and he was trying to squeeze a little bit more out of the Knicks. That's exactly. There's another reason why I think that. There's another reason why I think he overplayed his hand, Brian. Because he walked away from probably $50 million in marketing in well, New York. Well, here's the thing with that. It's it's 2012. It's not 1986 anymore where you don't necessarily have to be in New York to get those kinds of opportunities. You could fly somebody to New York to shoot a commercial if you wanted to. But Brian, had we, I mean, we had Bill Pito on the show. He even said it. 
he had never seen in 30 years in New York sports anything like no, I know. insanity. I, I know. I'm, I'm thinking more from a national perspective. But you don't need a national perspective if you're on the Knicks. Look, I I I I think he was looking for the most guaranteed money possible because he could blow out his knee in three months and he's not getting any marketing opportunities. But he's like, going to have twenty eight million dollars guaranteed to instead him instead of twenty four. I mean, what's four no, million dollars? I agree with you, but I think that that's what he was. He was looking to squeeze every last dollar that he could. Now I'm going to flip this around on you. Oh, you right. sounded a little like Elmo right there. When you did, right? That. Yes. It, that, it could be that, or it could be that I have a 19-month-old. Uh, or, or everything sounds a bit like Elmo. A little bit like Elmo, right. Um, if you had said Cal's going to flip this around on you. Yes. Yeah, so arrogant, that Elmo, huh? To always talking in the third yeah. person. He's like Ricky Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Elmo steals bases and is the greatest ever. Elmo once, Elmo once played with a guy who wore a helmet at first base. Enough about Elmo. What do you think about Elmo? <laughs> um, so the, the the story that's coming out is that James Dolan was insulted. That Jeremy Lin took the offer and kind of did an end around, went back to Houston to try to get a little bit more money. Right. And that... He, he when he did that, you know, he was he was Fredo. He was dead to him. <laughs> Turned That's it back it. on him. You're dead to me. I don't care. I'm not signing any any contract. You're gone. Like that was the moment. And the thought is that he made it personal. And because from a, from a basketball standpoint, it's very difficult to argue that the Knicks would have been better had they kept Jeremy Lin. Oh. And then you would you would have had a three. I can talking about. That. Okay, but what I'm going with is you would have had a three-point guard rotation of Jason Kidd. We could have given it to Jason Kidd at some point, too. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Really, top match. Oh. Way, to, way to get back to town in a, in a blaze of glory. Especially you on the floor. Really. Really. Wow, top notch. Jason Kidd, Raymond Felton, and Jeremy Lin. That would have been your three-man rotation at the point guard. You could argue, and, and you can. And I, I see you shaking your head. Nobody else can see you shaking your head. But trust me, folks, he's shaking his head that they would have been a better basketball team with Jeremy Lin. And the other thing that came out was the, was the fact that, that that poison pill in the in the third year was not necessarily the huge backbreaker that it appeared to be because they had the ability to kind of stretch it out over three years. So they wouldn't have taken the $14 million hit at once had they released him. They would have had to release him but they wouldn't have taken that hit at once, so it would have been a little more palatable. Go ahead. You're practically jumping through the screen. No, no. Go. No, no. To your, to your first point, um, I, I, we could have a great argument about whether they're – not an argument. We don't argue here. <laughs> right now, Brian is handing me a pot out <laughs> on uh, FaceTime. Uh, no, picking uh, up your cigarette butt with my umbrella. <laughs> correct. Now it's garbage. Uh, see what I did there, though. I mixed the I know. the movie and the TV show. I do yeah. that all the time. That's not linguini, you idiot. That's not spaghetti, you idiot. That's linguini. Now it's garbage. That's my best uh, Walter Matthau. That was a good Walter Matthau. Not bad. Not bad. I do a much better uh, grumpy old men 
Walter Matthau. You you do more of a spacey as Matthau. Yes. I do a spacey as everybody. You do, I? that's true. <laughs> Screw you, Gunderson. Um let's hear it. You can no no no, you could have that discussion about whether they're a better basketball team or not. I again my boy, the FedEx guy at work, X. I'm gonna have him call on the show, Cal. I told him I said, Can you call in? He's like, Man, I work till you know ten o'clock at night. I said we're on till eleven thirty. <laughs> I said you got to be our NBA guy. He's he's a he's a uh, a Bulls fan. Okay. But he just every day he comes in at 4:30 for the 4:30 pickup and comes in for the 5:30 pickup. And we have I am having a party talking the NBA with this guy. He's insightful, he's funny, he's uh extraordinarily knowledgeable. This is like a great NBA fan. A great NBA fan. Um and we 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 were talking it today. We both agree they they are they're fine without him. I think they're totally fine without him. I think he's vastly overrated. But I don't think to your second point. And again, we could argue: Are they better off with Jason Kidd and Raymond Felton? Uh, uh, you know, or, or are they are better off with Jeremy Lin, a guy who played 25 games in a system under a coach who's not there anymore? Okay, there are a lot of people. A lot of NBA people who are not convinced he's anything more than a backup. I I agree with that. Than a, except, than a career point guard backup. Well, except for the fact that they need a backup. Yeah, but not at fifteen million dollars a year, Brian. Well, not at time. I, I get not at point. fifteen million dollars for that third year. But he but also is only twenty three years old. I don't think it's money. I don't think it was money. It was no clearly. I think it was personal. I think I think he went, you know, sunny, and I think Jim Dolan, as usual, went sort of sunny on us, mm-hmm. and you know, this is business, and this man is taking it very personal. Now, again, I don't think it's the end of the world, though, from a basketball standpoint, that they didn't sign him back. I mean, I watched him play. Yes, from a marketing standpoint, sure, you lost something. But from a basketball standpoint, you signed Jason Kidd, you brought Raymond Felton back, who worked better with... And this is Carmelo's team. It's Carmelo's team. And here's the other thing that I know writers, uh, uh, you know, the beat writers for the Knicks and stuff have said. But Brian, they want Chris Paul. They want yeah. Chris Paul. And I read, oh, well, this wouldn't have prevented them from getting Chris Paul. Or, you know, they still have to. they still won't have room under the cap. Like, that's a joke. The Knicks haven't been under the cap since, you know, Bill Clinton's first term. I mean, they don't care about the cap. Oh, they can't do a sign and trade. They find ways. It's the NBA. You got you got nine ninth men making fourteen million dollars a year. It's the NBA. They'll figure out a way to get it done. They don't care. I feel like I feel like uh, Ray Liotta playing Henry Hill, like narrating this. They don't care. It was all money. It didn't make a difference. <laughs> when he's talking about the restaurant and how they use the restaurant to launder stuff, yeah, that's the NBA. You take a case of booze and <laughs> buy it for fifty bucks in the front and sell it for a hundred and fifty in the front. It didn't matter. It was all profit. That's the NBA. The NBA is all profit. And they want Chris Paul, Bry. They want Chris Paul. Well, and you know what? I hope they get Chris Paul. No, oh, yeah, I think we all hope they get Chris Paul. I mean, uh, no guarantee. So who needs Jeremy Lin? I, 
I personally think that they're built to win right now. And if Jeremy Lin is on the team as part of a three-man rotation at the point guard position this year, they're a better team than they will be without him. Okay. This this year. Okay. Okay. I don't want to pay him. I don't want to pay him fourteen million dollars in two years either. Right. But there's ways around that. And I mean, they also didn't know Jason Kidd was uh, going to drive his car into a tree, hammered, on you know the early hours of Sunday morning, like a complete jackass. Right. The night that all of this was happening with Jeremy Lin. That's right. He was out in Montauk. Wait, wait. You know what my favorite part though of the Jason Kidd, and we're not to make light of this, okay? Drinking and driving is disgraceful. The fact that gazillion-dollar athletes ever drink and drive is so beyond me. It's just, it's incomprehensible. It really is. It really is. Not to get soapboxy, Bri, but come on. You've got a gazillion dollars. You have absolutely no need to drive a car. Somebody's got to be able to drive it. I mean, you've got to be able to pay for 17, you can pay for a fleet of Escalades. To drive him to stretch Escalades with the with the TV and a bar, <laughs> like Cameron and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'll spring for it. A nice stretch job with a TV and a bar. Okay. Why you but, gotta say Escalade? That's that's a little racist. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but my but my favorite part of this whole thing is the cover of I think it was the Daily News on Sunday <laughs> when he gets arrested. Or it was, I guess it was Monday when it all broke. And it's him with Arsenio Hall. Like, of all people. Uh-huh. To be part, it was him, like, in, in the late hours Saturday night before he got in the car and smacked it up, partying with Arsenio Hall. Really? Arsenio Hall? Like, A, he's still alive? And B, <laughs> you couldn't get shot with a better celebrity? Like you know, reminding me of Cal. Do you remember? Do you, do you remember in Eddie Murphy Raw when he when he tells the whole story about getting in the fight? And uh, oh, you got in a fight and you look like Jimmy Walker. Oh boy, how to do it? And he says, he says, uh, Eddie, Eddie, calm down, calm down. <laughs> he said, well, oh, you were, in a, oh, you were. You were in a fight with Danny Terrio. <laughs> what the hell are you doing with Danny Terrio? <laughs> like his, his father's, his stepfather's only question was, what the hell are you doing with Danny Terrio? <laughs> oh, you got in a fight and you look like Jimmy Walker. What the hell are you doing with Danny Terrio? That's what I was thinking with uh, <laughs> with Jason Kidd. You got a DUI? Oh, that's, oh you idiot. What, what the hell are you doing with Arsenio Hall? This is 1987? Anyway. Uh, I I don't think it's that big of a deal. I really don't. I, um, the I, only the only the only issue I have is is the reason why. Is is spite? <laughs> yeah, it just I don't. It troubles me that that's how the man runs his organization. Hey, look, I'm gonna take James Dolan's side for the first time, maybe ever. In All that, right. you know what? Right. I'm not gonna be bullied. You know, you you got greedy. Now you pay. Have fun in Houston. There's great barbecue, and the humidity is 114%. Have fun. So, all right, look. Let's move on from Jeremy Lin. Shall we? Sure. Shall we talk about what we're itching to talk about? 
with uh, somebody who knows a little something about what we're about to. That's the worst introduction ever. What are you doing? What the hell are you doing with Danny Terrio? <laughs> or you got in a fight and you look like Jimmy Walker. Oh boy, that'd do it. Uh, let's bring him in uh, and welcome him back to Ready to Unload. He uh, writes for TedQuarters.net. He is uh, on SNY.TV, uh, on their network of blogs, and he also is one of the three-headed hosts of the Mostly Mets podcast. Uh, Ted Berg, welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, uh, it's good timing. I actually happen to be sitting in my apartment wearing the one-piece red leather jumpsuit that Eddie Murphy wore in Raw. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you too? Yeah, I, just, I mean, it's just my loungewear. It's a little sweaty. Oh, this old thing? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Ted, how have you been, pal? First, let's, uh, before we talk about the Mets and, and uh, Matt Harvey and uh, uh, Miguel Batista, we're the greatest team ever, by the way. I don't know what, yeah. I don't know what you guys are watching, but this team is magnificent. Um, how have you been? How's everything going? How's, uh, how's your health? How's everything? Everything's good. I have, I have very few complaints. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I, I enjoyed your uh, your reports from Buffalo. It's fun. Uh, I, was, I had fun in Buffalo. I, I got to talk to Matt Harvey. Yes, well, we we definitely want to talk to you about that. Although I know you guys discuss that a lot on the on the Mostly Mets podcast, but Cal and I would like to uh, to talk to you about that. But uh, I did one big thing, Ted. I appreciated the uh, the conversation about whether they just called them wings. Yeah, I'm not at this place. Not at the place we went. They said, like, Buffalo-style wings. Like, you don't even have to say that. That is redundant. We're in Buffalo. Right. It reminded me of, uh, and uh, having been to Buffalo many a time, because in a former life I dated a girl from East Aurora um, for a really long time, um, I think I actually went to the place that you were at, uh, or have been there. But it reminded me of the old, one of my favorite Friends lines. Yes, quoting Friends. Which is uh, uh, <laughs> Ross is going to China, and he says, uh, you know, oh, eat some Chinese food. Joey says, eat some Chinese food, and Matthew Perry says, why? Well, I think they just call it food there. That's that was right, exactly. Mind. I've been <laughs> to China, and I can confirm that that is true. That the, what they call food is actually Chinese food. Oh, see, excellent. Uh, but uh, it is so very confusing when they have a fire drill. <laughs> But up, boom. Well done. Uh, let's uh, let's get into the Mets. Um, and let's get into Matt Harvey. Let's start there. Because Cal and I talked about it a ton last week. Obviously, it was more of an issue um, before they had named Miguel Batista the starter. And, and we'll get to the win today stuff, uh, Ted, and if they save their season, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, specifically about Matt Harvey, um, what were some of your impressions of him? I mean, did... did did, was he everything as advertised uh, personality? I didn't, see him, I'm, I, I didn't see him pitch when we were there. I saw him pitch on on S and Y the other day. Uh, he yeah, his it's funny. I, I interviewed him the first spring training after he was drafted. Um, so I guess a year ago, uh, you know, or the spring training 2011 before he'd ever pitched professionally. And he's a really nice guy, you know, and and a smart guy. But after after we we did an on camera interview, he was. A little nervous about it. He's like, How was I? Was that all right? Was it? Did I do good? You know. <laughs> and then it's it's and then the next time, you know, after after we talked to him in spring training this year, uh, he was 
you know, significantly more confident. And this time he was like, you know, I mean, I, he's he's on the, just made the Triple A All Star team. He he's been the best pitcher for the team this year. I think he's leading the International League in strikeouts. Now he's got like sort of I mean, he's still a really nice guy and still you know very uh, great on interviews and everything. But now he's got sort of like the big league attitude. Like he realizes he's a big leaguer and and he's sort of starting to carry himself that way. For whatever that's worth, which is not much. <laughs> no, do, but, do you uh, get see? No, I just that. wanted to see his evolution, you know? You get you get the sense at this point that his confidence might be ahead of his stuff as far as making the jump to the majors, but that it would be okay at this point where his you know, it kinda would kind of like compensate for it. His stuff can kind of catch up to the confidence. You know, I think I, I, it's hard to say what value confidence has, you know, in a player. I, I, I don't I feel like every baseball player is pretty confident to some extent because uh, you have to be. You have to know you're good to get that good. Um, but but I think Harvey does seem like a smart enough guy and a reasonable enough guy and, and yeah, a confident enough guy that if he does get hit a little bit at the major league level, uh, he won't cripple from it. Uh, and, right. and that's that's a guess. I don't really know him. You know, I've spoken to him three times. Uh, but... But it does seem like he sort of has that that demeanor that that he understands it and that that he'd be ready. You know, he has a I'm ready to go. I can do it. You know, I just let me get back out there type mentality. Well, I think one of the I think it's an interesting point too because one of the guys he's compared to uh, most often in our circles with the Mets is Mike Pelfrey, and I think Ted we've seen over the years with with Pelfrey that. Um, uh, he hasn't always had the confidence in his stuff, or he hasn't always had the mound demeanor to match his stuff uh, at other times. Um, I think uh, that's uh, not necessarily from what I saw of him pitch the other night and from the interviews I've seen, uh, both in the ones you did. There was a great article, uh, uh, I think it was in the Daily News during spring training, uh, in an interview with uh, with Harvey uh, about his sort of bulldoggedness on the mound, uh, his pitching intellect, and also uh, uh, I think his I think confidence can overcome uh, a confidence in your stuff can overcome a little bit. I, do you do you feel that it's a fair comparison with Pelfrey? I think I think that's I think it's overdone. Do you think that's a fair comparison? I, I don't think it's fair. I mean, I don't think it's fair for one for for one reason, and it's not Pelfrey's fault. Pelfrey was rushed through the minor leagues so fast. And right. you look back, and he didn't pitch. He barely pitched in AAA at all before they called him up the first time. And the next year, when he pitched in AAA in 2007, uh, he I think it was 2007. Uh, yeah, yeah, because he, he debuted in 2006 and, he, mm-hmm. and he, he broke back in 2007. 2007, when he pitched in AAA, he wasn't nearly as good as Harvey has been. And no. Pelfrey struck a lot of guys out in single A and double A, and then he kind of just stopped striking guys out. By the time he hit Triple A, and I and I think that's a function. I don't know for sure, but I think that's a function of of not having that that second pitch, which which is really what killed Pelfrey throughout his major league career was was that you know he had a good fastball and it, and it sunk and he could keep it low in the zone, and so he could induce some weak contact. But if he wasn't locating it and 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 if he needed a strikeout, he couldn't get one because he never had that consistent second pitch, and he tinkered 
and maybe that's where the the lack of confidence sort of comes in because he was constantly, you know, now he's throwing a split finger, now he's throwing the curveball again. Now, you know, it, it was always a new second pitch he was trying to work in, and, and it never seemed like it caught on. Uh, whereas Harvey, if you look at the stats, he's striking out way more guys in AAA than, than Pelfrey ever did. He's striking out a, a lot of guys there. And and you watch him pitch, and he's, you know, he, I know the reputation is that the secondary stuff isn't up to speed with the fastball, and, and that's probably true, but I can't remember, and maybe this is in my head, I can't remember ever seeing Mike Pelfrey throw curveballs as, as well as, as Harvey was in 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 that game on Monday. And, yeah. you know, obviously, I'm not a scout. I don't really know, but, but Harvey's getting swings and misses with change-up. He's getting swings and misses with a curveball. And and think about how many times you saw Mike Pelfrey do that. I think you can count it on one hand in, in his major league career. Mm-hmm. No, I never did. Um, the other question I had, talking about Harvey coming up, and then you know the outside possibility that Zach Wheeler might get promoted at some point, maybe maybe in September, um, but certainly for next year. Josh Tolley, and this is a good question. Steve will get a kick out of this because he's an old catcher. Um, how confident are you in Josh Tolley to kind of bring these two kids along, you know, under his watch? He's Tolley's been working with with pretty veteran guys this year, and Dickey and Santana and and, and Chris Young. Um, even John Neese has been around for a couple of years now. Now you're going you're gonna to have Josh Tolley kind of guiding these two, you know, this is the future of the team. How confident are you in Tolley that he'll be able to handle that? I think he could do it. I, it that's, a, that's, again, it's such a tough thing to really get a handle on is, is how well a pitcher handles the step. It's something you hear about all the time. Pitchers talk about it all the time, so he sense it's important. But then you, you look at the numbers and, and – and, it seems like, you know, a guy's catcher ERA just varies so much from year to year. One year, Foley will be the best on the team. And the next year, he'll be the worst on the team. And then this year, it looks like he's good again. And, you know, that this year, it obviously has to do with him catching Dickey all the time and, and Dickey's ERA bringing his catcher ERA down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tolley can handle it. I mean, he, he does have – it's tough. You know, you, you I don't think you would ever hear a pitcher say, oh, he sucks and I hate him. Uh, maybe Pedro Bianco throwing him under the bus a couple of days ago, um, you know, and, and that's about that's about the physical, you know, blocking the ball. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone complain about Tolly's game calling. Uh, whereas I actually had heard that about Ronnie Paulino, uh, not from players, but from people people around the team who were pretty disappointed with the way Paulino approached catching. Um, right. And Tolly doesn't have that reputation for whatever that's worth. Um, yeah. The- the reason why I brought it up, just because it, it just kind of struck me today, I was watching the game, and in the ninth inning, um, with Parnell pitching, uh, either Ron or, or Gary made a comment that it looked like the bench was calling the game at that point. Tolley kept looking into the dugout, and the bench was kind of giving him the signal to call the pitch. And that that could just be a function of the fact that Parnell is struggling, and, and the coaches wanted to have a little more input into it. But it just it was something that struck me when I heard it, and, it, and I thought about Harvey and Wheeler and, and where Tolley was with that. And I could be overblowing it a lot, but it was just, you know, I made the connection a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. It's something you see with with young catchers a lot. It's something, I mean, something you sometimes see with veteran catchers too. I think it just depends on the pitching coach and the manager and how they want to play it. Um Tolley's still a really young catcher, right? He's 25, and he hasn't been catching his entire career. Um, so, you know, that's a long time to and a lot to learn, and, and it seems like he has improved defensively. 
But maybe in certain situations they do want a little bit more of a handle on that, especially with Parnell and 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 how he's been pitching. You know what's interesting, boy. This is that was a great question, Brian, because it just it did get my my mind going in a couple directions, and and we'll move on for it in a uh, in a second. But I just wanted to bring this up. And you got me thinking. You know, let's let's think about uh, eighty four, eighty five, and eighty six when Gooden, Darling, Sid Fernandez, eventually David Cohn, uh, and the Mets went and got Gary Carter, and the Mets went and got. Mets in '85, of course, got the you know the best, probably arguably the best defensive catcher in baseball, uh, who sort of ushered in those uh, those pitchers. Uh, I'm thinking around the league about you know teams with no uh, with young staffs that like sort of grew up, and I I went to the Braves in the '90s with that staff, but I don't know if that's the same. It's interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see if they do bring in a. Uh, you know, I was thinking of Yachty Molina, you know, because those, you know, I mean, obviously some of that was Dave Duncan, but those staffs are always or have been so good the last few years, you know, um, and with young pitchers and, and veteran pitchers alike. It's going to be really interesting to see if if maybe Josh Tolley is that guy to uh, to to be there for Wheeler, Harvey, potentially Familia. Uh, you know, and and Nice, who's, who's still a young pitcher. I, I wonder if they go out and get a, a veteran backstop next year, though, to to run out there maybe two or three days a week. That's gonna be that, that's a great question, Cal. Good job by you. It's I mean, I, it's a it's a great question. It's a good thing to look at, and uh, I mean, it's certainly possible. Yeah. I think that you know, <laughs> the offensive side, Mike Nikias does sort of serve that role. I think that's. Probably why he's around is is for his ability yeah. to. I mean, if it wasn't for that, I, I, it's hard to figure why he's around. So I would well, assume the reason handsome. he's around very is handsome. that working with the pitching staff, and and yeah. he's you know, such a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, so so maybe that's the idea. I you hear a lot of uh, you hear a lot of um, future manager type stuff with Nikias. Yeah, and I buy it. I mean, if you talk to yeah. him for five minutes, you you you'd buy it. Is that right? He's, He's a smart guy, and he knows baseball, and he knows catching. Um, you know, he he's a, a great person to talk to about any of the sort of mechanics of catching and 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 the to get a sense of how, of what pitchers are doing and how they're moving and 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 how you want to approach hitters and stuff. I mean, he just it feels like he just gets it. Right, and he is again extraordinarily handsome. Good looking guy. Very I mean, he, good hair. Well, he, He's a fantastic head of hair. He raises the, you know, the the GQ quotient on the team. You know, X-Men. I mean, you have guys like John Neese offsetting it. I mean, it's you got to have a balance there. It's a shame he's got to wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they should put him at, yeah, put him at first once a week just to show him off. <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, current events. Um uh, the Mets are the best baseball team uh, in baseball. <laughs> Thank you, PJ, <laughs> from the RTU news desk. Um, Six-game losing streak. Uh, the sky is falling. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Uh, the season is over. Uh, a lot of I told you so's uh, from beat reporters. Um, one sane voice in Rich Catino. Um, I, I, I want to ask you two questions, Ted. One is actually a question and a comment. The comment is, I admire your 
tweets and your posts uh, to tedquarters.net. You are not in this. I don't want this to come off as ass kissy. It's it's genuine. Yeah, you can kiss my ass. That would be nice. Okay, cool. (laughs) I wish I wish I was able to disassociate myself from the daily emotions of this team. And further, and I actually got into this fight with Vicaro, not fight, but Twitter conversation with Mike Vicaro yesterday, um, allowed myself to not let what is said about the team bother me so much. And I I, uh, respect that greatly in you in that you're not ever dispassionate. It's clear that you are a passionate Met fan, but you're able to put what is said about the team what is written about the team, and and it probably helps a bit that you're actually in the media, but um, and also uh, have a sense of humor about it. And so uh, that's my comment. Question is, uh, the the question is in regards to this team and where they are, and they got a huge win today. Is it over? Is it not over? What is your gut telling you about this team? Well, first on the comment. I mean, I I read what's said about the team, you know, and and I it's a conscious decision to not let it affect the way I view the team, and it, and it's one that I did not come to easily because if you go back, I mean, the beginning of the blog, and 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 I used to you know frequently sort of direct my vitriol at. I beat writers and, and local columnists and people I felt were, were not giving the team a fair shake or were uh, making stupid analysis, anything like that. And and over time, I I kind of I kind of came to the conclusion that if if there is something I feel is dumb or there is something I, I you know I just don't think is is accurate or, or or is just being written to stir up page views, then I shouldn't indulge it with the page views by linking it. And and, and you know, my traffic isn't enough to make a dent in that, but I, I just kind of want to, like, lead by example. Like, someone writes something that is incendiary and silly, and, and that's – and everybody in, on the Internet links to it to rip it apart. The person who wrote it in the first place is the winner, right? They're working to try to get traffic and to try to get eyeballs on their site. And so you write something so outlandish that everybody rips it apart – Means everybody's reading it, and yeah. and so so I I sort of came to the conscious decision that it's like it's just not worth it. Just don't don't indulge any of that stuff, and 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 focus on the baseball aspect of it because that's that's what I really care about. I, I care less what people say about the Mets if, if what it, they're saying is wrong. If what they're saying is interesting, you know, then I like it and I and, and I read it and I enjoy it. But if you know what? what so it's silly, meh. No, it's 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 just it's so prevalent now. In, in the age of social media, that it's it's really hard to do, to make that decision like you have, you know, to kind of, you know, block it out or ignore it. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it's it's surprisingly it easy once you really? start doing it. And and I'll get pulled in again. What will happen to me? Well, what happened last year? Last year at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, I'm not going to troll anybody. I'm not going to rip apart any stupid columns. I'm not going to get upset about this. And then this guy wrote this column in. Forbes, of all places, ripping <laughs> Jose Reyes apart. In the middle of Jose Reyes' career year, like when, when it was like June and Jose Reyes was hitting 340 or whatever and stealing two bases every night, this 
guy writes about how Jose Reyes has a bad attitude and he shouldn't have, and like he was ripping Jose Reyes for getting thrown out on third on a play where he was just called out, but he was he was patently safe. Like you you would see it and mm-hmm. he was safe. And this guy's tearing him apart, and that, that, I just lost it. It was like that. Now I got to now I got to link this and rip it apart, and I go back on my word. And <laughs> I've tried to tried to control it since then, but it'll happen again. Someone will write something so outlandishly bad that that I will I will feel the need to address it because I can't help myself. I think um, <laughs> I think that I think here here's what gets me, and I and I really do want to talk about the team, but this is important uh, as Cal and I have done often on this show for two and a half years is that we talk a lot about the teams that we love, but we also talk about the way that they're covered because that's a big part of being a fan. And the last thing I'll say on this uh, for me, and and I am learning this, Ted, I really am, but it's, it's, I have, I think I got into it with um, uh, the Green Lantern Jet, uh, who I think writes for maybe CBSSports.com or WFAN maybe or, um, and 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 he's usually a very good tweeter. He's a big Yankee fan. Uh, he's a big Jet fan. We've had some great Jet discourse over Twitter or whatever. And it was literally four minutes after they blew that game on Tuesday night. Literally four minutes. Literally after the wild pitch. And he tweets about how the the, the Mets can't wait. They have to go get bullpen help, and you know it's going to pass them by. And let's see some action. And blah blah blah. blah. Like six tweets about the Mets. The calls to action are so silly to me. Yeah, I, like, like like they're not working on it. Come on, give it right. time. Like, like, oh, Sandy Alderson just read your tweet. He's gonna go grab the bat phone now and make a trade. Like, it's like oh, this guy says right now. Oh crap! <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna hey, do we, some laundry, but now I'll get on the phone. We need both. Like I see him with his, I see him with his feet up on the desk in the newspaper, and he <laughs> reads that and he quickly scurries to pick up the phone. Yeah, so right. I. I I couldn't. Wait, we I need bullpen help. What are you talking about? What? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I, I couldn't help myself, and I just said to the guy, I said, "Look, I said, what do you want him to do? I said, what would you like him to do tonight? What would be a sign of action for you? You have to have a trade partner to make a trade. You know, like you have to wait till the market sets, and you have to. And I wrote all this stuff, and I'm like, and he was like, dude, you're taking it personally, bro. And I'm like, I'm not taking it personally. Just give me four minutes. Can you give me an hour? Don't yeah. the Yankees have somebody to out payroll tonight? I mean, just just give me an hour. I mean, and also, is there a worse time to to be trading for relief help than like five minutes after after one of your relievers threw a wild pitch for a walk off win? Right. I mean, there, is, really... there is no time when the market's going to be worse for you. <laughs> You're really dealing from a position of strength after your closer blows two leads and you right. just lose on a wild pitch uh, two days after your closer's blown another game. You know, that phone call's going to go great. You're going to be like, uh, look, we need a reliever. And the guy on the other end is going to be like, we're going to need Matt Harvey. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I, it's just a matter of and, – and, and I wound up not apologizing to him but just saying, look, just give me an hour. It's, it's, it's the fact that this is these uh, – many of these guys, this is their job, okay? It, and their job is not to antagonize. Their job is to cover the team. And when that line to me is crossed, I have a really hard time. And I'm and I, I got trying. I'm really, really trying. It's got to be like a 12-step program or something for me. But I, I, I'm just – hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a ridiculously passionate Mets fan, and I hate the antagonizing media. Like, I just – I, I, I got to stop. I got to stop. It's not healthy. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's the way. It's just don't let don't the way to win is to not get caught up. And if it if it bothers you enough, just don't read it. Right? I mean the thing is we all have I mean you can watch the Mets games, right? Yeah. I can watch the Mets games. Yep. You know, so so you can if you you see what happens. You know what happens. What matters is what happens on the field. And there's interesting news and there's there's other stuff. That's going on, and and a lot of that is in the papers, and a lot of that is on on the big websites. There is good stuff, you know. There's great yep. information to be had, but you gotta you gotta just be able to I shut see. away the negative stuff yep. and understand that's inevitable because that's that's what drives. I mean, that's that's for better or worse. That's what people read, and, and you know, it's gonna spike up page views, and it's gonna be great because because so many people are like, I can't believe he wrote this, or yep. you know, I mean, and it's the same. It's not just sports. It's every aspect of the media and the way things are covered. We we simplify things and we essentially do negative. negative. And I think to be a sane Mets fan in 2012, you need to be able to block some of that out. But, Ted, as, as, a, as a sane Mets fan, it's great to block it out, and you can do everything in your power to block it out. But when it comes down to it, it's still the Mets. And every now and then... You're going to get a Miguel Batista <laughs> who comes out with, with just – it's like putting okay. an alley-oop out there yeah. for everybody. And, 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 and he as lost much as you, the game. I know. <laughs> so that's my question. Is, was, is that just – is that ignorance or is that poor timing? Like where, do you, um, where, where was he coming from with that? Well, you know, I, I wrote this today. The thing is you want your players believing. You don't want a player being like, oh, well, we suck. You know, like we're not yeah, a very good team, absolutely. and we were playing above our heads for the first half, and now we're coming back to Eric. That, if Miguel Batista said that, I, I would want him cut from the team immediately, even more so. Right. And, 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 but but <laughs> you, you want Miguel Batista thinking the Mets are, are the best team. It's just, yeah, it's just awful, awful timing. Too soon. Coming off a six-game <laughs> losing streak, much of which you're responsible for. Right. Or one, at least one game of which you're you're like pretty much directly responsible for. Right. And you and all your boys who you know the seven of you who have one job, you have one job. See, this is it, why I I said this five outs or something. <laughs> seven of you to get five outs. It's it it shouldn't be. The, I said it, uh, Ted, and and it it really has become a theme with this team, and I and it it leads me back to our uh, to that question about where are they now. Uh, and that is, I said it after the Atlanta game. I tweeted it, and I've felt this way for a really long time. And, and uh, Matt even picked up on it her own. And, and uh, it, this is not a pat on the bat, the back thing. This is well known in baseball. But there's there's nothing more deflating to a fan. There's nothing more frustrating. There's nothing worse. There's no worse trait in the team that you root for than a bad bullpen. There's just nothing. There's just nothing worse. Oh yeah, the team I itself. I think. And 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 that's what Matt said. Matt Matt Cerrone picked up on that, and Matt was like, "End to the team," you know. They'll they'll, they'll never admit it, but it's the worst. And and of course, I know that's true as well. But coming, you know, uh, from the fans' aspect, it's just the worst, man. It just every scenario, a bad bullpen kills it. You get down early in the game, why bother coming back? They're just going to give up runs. You know, you're you're in a late close game. Uh, you know, and you bring it. You have to go to that bullpen. There's no way we're winning this game because this two-one game is going to be six-one in about five minutes, and then don't even start with late-game heroics on the road. Don't even bother. If you're going right. to do that, you better be at home. Like today, it just right. It's, which is, 
Tuesday yeah. night with the Valdez been homer, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Tuesday night with the Valdez been homer. Yeah. It's just the worst. It's the absolute worst. And then like today, today just the specter of the bad bullpen causes Ari Dickey to have to pitch into the eighth inning, and he clearly was done at that point. But they yeah. just, Terry Collins just doesn't trust just doesn't like, trust do these guys. Do we think they can prevent? Well, Patrick said it on the, on the podcast we recorded today. But you can pretty much you, the best you can hope for is that the Mets will the Mets bullpen will be able to get like if you give them a nine run lead. They can probably hold it over nine hours, right? If you give them a three-run lead, like you can you can count on them for as many outs as there are runs in your lead, right? right. So, like you know, if you've got if you, yeah, if you've got a three-run lead, you don't pitch an inning; they'll get you out of that inning. If you've got a six-run lead, lead, good news, the bullpen can pitch two innings. But you know, and and that's what today, right? I mean, Dicky. Dickey came in with left with a seven run lead, and I think the bullpen got seven outs and like made it exciting. Yeah, yeah, it was not easy. It was not easy. And now, okay, so let me let me do this in uh, let us do this in question form. So we'll pose this to you: Do they get bullpen help in your estimation? Trade deadlines in twelve days. Do uh, they are two games over five hundred? I think they're five or four games out of the wild card. They're seven games out of first place. Uh, I think um, it, they have three games with the Dodgers this weekend, and then three games with the Nats again next week. Do they get bullpen help? In your, your I, think it, I think a lot of it probably has to do with how they play in the next twelve games. I think okay. if they go, you know, eight and four. Then yeah, if, I think if they go four and eight, maybe not. Um, I think it depends on the cost of the bullpen help. I think if they go six and six, uh, I think there's going to be a shakeup. I don't know that okay. it's outside help. I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know that there's an obvious answer. I don't know that you can like bring up Rob Johnson and hope he recreates that magic. But uh, <laughs> I, there's got to be. I mean, something's got to give. You know, the problem yeah. is, what are you willing to give up for bullpen help in the name of the 2012 season, which which is a long shot and has been a long shot all year. Well, and, and, and answer answer your own question because I was just going to ask you that. Do you think there's? A, not, I mean. Right. Can you see them getting bullpen help? That is there not bullpen help available? That's just financial. I would hope so. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how. The problem is there are so many teams in the mix this year that it might right. drive up the cost of some of those guys. You would hope, you know, with the with the new collective bargaining agreement and and the pending free agents not going to get you draft pick compensation, that that might mean you could take on a payrod for just money, something like that. But I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to shake out with, uh, I think, a record number of teams over 500 at this point. And all of those teams are certainly in the mix. And, and every team needing a bullpen on. Right. I, think the, I think the Mets' best chance for bullpen help is the guys in their bullpen pitching better. As crazy as that sounds, right? But, like, you look at their stats. You look at, you look at Ramon Ramirez. He's been a great reliever in the past. And Frank Francisco has been a really good reliever in the past, and Roush has been a good reliever in the past, and Parnell has that great stuff, and you just need two guys to start pitching like capable major leaguers, and the bullpen looks so much better. Well, I, I, I look, some guys are just not cut out to be closers, and I'm sorry. Bobby Parnell is just not cut out to be a closer. I, I just I don't care about his stuff. I, I feel the same way about Dave Robertson. 
to me. David Robertson is just not meant to be a closer for a couple reasons. One of which is a closer, a good closer, has an ability to make a certain pitch in a certain spot at a certain time that you absolutely have to make. And, and David Robertson's stuff in the eighth inning is not the same stuff he has in the ninth inning. I don't know why it is. Yeah. And, and Bobby Parnell is the same way to me. He is just it, – it, it's, the, it's the location of that fastball that, that Espinosa hits uh, after eight straight breaking pitches. It's the location of that fastball in that game the other night where if that fastball is up in Espinosa's eyes where it's supposed to be, game's over. This game's over. Yeah, I, didn't think it was, I didn't think it was that bad of a pitch. I mean, it was, it was out of the strike zone. It was a low pitch, you know? Right, but I it wasn't, I mean, where, it was, I, I, it wasn't I, I, where it was I, supposed to be. That's all. I don't it's, disagree it's, with you. I don't disagree with you about Parnell. And and that's weird for me because I tend to think the closer role is, is very overrated. And and, uh, and I think that I might be allowing, like, my eyes and a very small sample size to bias me. But, like, I just I have no like I have no faith in Parnell coming in in the ninth inning. And I have way more faith in him coming in in the seventh inning. I don't know do if that's I. just because of what's happened so far. And I'm no, not willing I, to say, like, oh, he can't do it. But it's, uh, it's not a. I think I, right. I think one of the. I think one of the problems. Uh, sorry, Kyle. One sec. I think one of the problems that you you can have with the closer role is the overratedness of the mentality of it. The mentality is nonsense. It's just certain guys can make certain pitches at certain times, and certain guys can't. You know, certain guys can. Mariano Rivera has been throwing the same pitch for 114 years, and he can put it in the same spot every time he absolutely needs to. He never, well, he's missed a couple times, but he he rarely misses where that pitch needs to be in the big spot. And certain guys, for some reason or for one reason or another, can't seem to do that in the ninth inning when they're closing out a game. You know, I, almost I, wonder, I think that's all it is. I almost wonder if the, you know, I mean, if the oh, amount to which it's been overrated sort of gets in guys' heads, right? And I'm the closer now. I got this big right. job to do. I got to do all this important stuff. And, and, you know, if the guy just thought it was the seventh inning, he'd be fine. But, but you know, I think maybe there's, we've given such a uh, an import to that role and like the uh, bravado or whatever that comes with it. Uh, that maybe maybe that gets the guys. I don't know. It does seem like there's something about the ninth inning, and and it does seem like guys have like such a uh, outside of Mariano Rivera, there's such a limited shelf life for closers. Like you watch, and Tyler Clifford has been unbelievable for the last few years, and you watch him last night and in the series, you know, like, man, I think Tyler Clifford's starting to go, you know, and it's starting mm-hmm. to sort of happen where now Tyler Clifford's not quite so effective anymore. Nats will be fine because they got tons of guys in that bullpen, and maybe Clippard will be fine. But you know, three home runs in two days, and and uh, what what was that pitch he threw to the backstop? It's like ah, that, <laughs> you know, like maybe maybe this is starting to come apart for this guy, which sucks. You know, it sucks for him. He's a great pitcher. He is a great pitcher, but it it just happens with closers sometimes. They just I don't know. They just sort of lose it. That's a good point because when was the last time you saw one of those big, you know, five-year, seventy million dollar contracts given to a closer that was a good contract in the end? Never, never. never. Right? Remember, like, yeah. BJ Ryan, like people give out these, like, oh, other than, I mean, that's what makes you know, Trevor Hoffman, Mariano Rivera, so special. And and again, I think in general they're overrated. I think closers are overrated, and so guys who have been had great success as closers 
are kind of overrated, as often as Mariano Rivera is. But what makes Mariano Rivera special is that he's just never had the down year. He's never had the, the yips. He's never had the time where, you know, he gets lit up seven times in a row. He, no, he's he's one, in, he's one in a gazillion. Yeah, he's one in a he'll gazillion. He'll blow a save, and then the next night he's out there throwing 11 straight cutters, striking one guy out and getting two ground balls. You know, and, yeah. and it's every time. Yep. No, absolutely. No, no. I want to. I want to get off the bullpen because <laughs> I think we've we and everybody else has kind of yeah. beaten that one to death. Um, but talking about the rest of the team, do they make? Are there any other moves to make? Do you think with the rest of the team? Uh, well, for first thing, when Mike Baxter comes back, they're going to have an extra guy. Is is has the clock kind of run out on Kirk Newenheist for for now or? Would they send Valdespin back down if they need to to clear a spot on the roster? It's a tough. We we talked about because there's another thing we we talked about on the on the podcast today. That's a, I mean, for one thing, that, I mean, bats are still a ways away, so those things mm-hmm. do tend to work themselves out. Like there's a pretty good chance someone else will be hurt by the time Baxter comes back. <laughs> um, if Baxter were eligible to come back today, I don't know. I mean, it seems like. It's tough to send new one ice down. Like, even as poorly as he's played lately, you look at the season line, it's pretty good, you know? And, and he's a I, – I don't know that he's really earned a demotion. And and Valdespin, I, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's worse than Valdespin. And Valdespin has had so, so many big hits, but then besides that, he's been pretty bad, you know? And, and Valdespin's got some value in being able to do a few different things. Baxter's got value like that. New New Knights can play all over the outfield. I would wonder if if Justin Turner's not that safe at that point, you know, because he's got the right-handedness, which helps, but he is sort of redundant as a backup middle middle infielder because of Cedeno, and if he's not your primary backup middle infielder, why are you carrying multiple backup middle infielders? Or could Cedeno not be safe? Maybe Cedeno's not safe. That's a good point. Except Cedeno's the only guy who can really play shortstop besides Tejada. Right. Turner can play shortstop, too, but... In a pinch, but... Right. Rather not. That's the thing. I mean, Tejada's playing every day, right? So you're only going to need a shortstop in a pinch. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. And and if something should happen to Tejada again, you got to go out and get a shortstop anyway, and we'll be down to number seven on the shortstop. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to trade... One of those guys. I mean, that just looks, and I have no inside information or anything. It just if you look at the way the yeah. roster is built up, it's they've got too many platoon outfielders and too many backup middle infielders. And you know, as much as Turner is sometimes reviled, I think you know, he's a second baseman who can hit a little bit. Oh, I don't I think, think Turner. Team, I, I think some team would take him on. Yeah, you know, I, and, I, you know what? I don't want to see them trade Turner. I, I really don't. I would rather see them move Ronnie Cedeno, uh if for fifty bucks or something like that. Because honestly, I think Turner is. Lo- I think he's really liked in that clubhouse. I think he's a big part of what Terry Collins has called the best. You know, one of the best clubhouses he's ever been around. And I also think he has value as a right-handed bat at first base, a right-handed bat at second base, a right-handed bat in a pinch at shortstop. Uh, uh, you know, right-handed, and, and and he's a tough out. And you know what? Quietly, he's seven for his last twelve, and he's hitting two eighty-seven this year. Yeah, you know, uh, I, you know, I, I would hate fair. to see the move Turner. I really would. I think he's a valuable, he's a valuable guy on that bench. And 
frankly, they don't have another option. I mean, I know they're playing Ike every day. I know Ike uh, Davis is playing every day, but they don't have another option right-handed at first base. Well, I mean, you know, if they were, I would, presumably if they're moving someone like Turner, they're bringing in a right-handed bat of something. Yeah, I just, I would hate to see them. I, I really, I, I really feel like Turner has. I guess what a, I wonder is, does Turner have as much value to the Mets as he might to some other team? Right. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. He doesn't play that much. I mean, the, except the Mets do need right-handed hitters, and he yeah. is that. Um, he, you know, he doesn't play that much. He could probably start somewhere, and you know, he could probably be a second division starter at second base, like he was last year. And, and so, someone would probably give up something of reasonable value for that. And the Mets do have just so many guys who can who can sort of fit that role of the right. backup middle infielder. Maybe not with Turner's. Uh, maybe not with hitting as well as Turner. But I think you give up those, you know, four or five hits over the course of the season uh, for a, a live bullpen arm or a better hitting right-handed bat, something like that. But let's be honest, all of all of this talk pretty much is because of um, of Jason Bay. That's, Jason Bay. That's the, other that, thing. That's, that's the piece, you know, of uh, that just doesn't fit into this puzzle, but will always be, you know, kind of forced into the puzzle, which is going to cause this this ancillary discussion, what what can what can they get out of Jason Bay here if he stays healthy? Can they get anything he out hit, of him? He hit a home run yesterday. He did, um, I know, in the ninth which, inning. Yeah, I mean, I, he looked surprised. Did you see his face? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, like, whoa, whoa, like, what happened? Um, They're telling him to run over right hand or no less. You got to run, run to first, Jason. Run, go ahead. Yeah, it's it's baffling, and you know, I mean, Bay is—he hasn't been good. You know, there's only if you're really serious about making a pennant run this year and chasing the playoffs, how long can you keep playing him? I mean, you certainly can't keep playing him every day. Probably has some value as a right-handed bat, but if you're going out to acquire a right-handed bat, you know, if that's if that's the goal, then that doesn't speak well of Bay. Right, and and then you say, well, how do you keep Bay around? When if you need to go out and trade for a better right-handed bat, you're just going to keep this guy on the bench, or you're going to keep this guy playing every day in left field even worse because he's getting paid a lot. I mean, well, you know, because he's a nice dude. I don't know. I mean, you know, it, 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 it seems, seems like. like no, nah, it seems like it seems like the plan is to just. And I mean, anytime you hear Terry Collins talk about it, they're just going to keep running him out there because you know, like he always says, we need Jason Bay's bat in the lineup. But he's not Jason Bay's bat right now. That's the I thing. Mean, it's it, that is the, that is exactly the thing. And and to some extent, you know, the only way they're going to get value out of him is, is if he starts hitting. And the only way they're going to be able to move that contract is if he hits at all. You know, and so. You can sort of understand it, or you could sort of understand it, I guess, before they sort of got in the playoff mix. And now it's becoming more difficult. I mean, now we have three years where he hasn't hit. And it's <laughs> short samples in each one, but it's three years. You know, you can you can sit and say, well, man, if, if Jason Bay turns into 2008 Jason Bay again, 2009 Jason Bay again, the Mets are all set. I mean, they really are. But oh, at yeah. this point... At this point, it's hard to expect that's going to happen. I think I think the cumulative sample is large enough now, where we can say he's he's not going to be Jason Bay again. Yeah, it might I mean, be. It, it might it's be sad. 
It's a, it, the thing is, strange things happen like that in baseball. There's so many uh, times true. you leave, you leave a guy for dead. David Ortiz, right? David Ortiz yep. has been no, the best hitter in the American League. He was left for dead like two, three years ago. Two and years he ago. had a few bad yeah. seasons. Carlos Delgado, remember? Well, everybody was we're ready to run him out of town. And then he, he had the big series and uh, for against the Yankees. He had the big game. And Carlos Delgado was the best hitter on the Mets for the rest of, of 2008. So it yep. does happen. I don't... I don't think it's going to happen for Bay because I've been watching him play. But it's those kinds of things, I mean, it's weird. It's a weird sport, and that pull back to the player that you are, it's like a very strong force. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't think it's monetary with Jason Bay, guys. I really don't. I think... You're the reason they're keeping him around. Yeah, I, I think it's genuinely because they think something like you just described, Ted, could happen for him. I really do. I think they genuinely believe. I think they have baseball people watching him hit, and they have you know Dave Hudgens is down there with him, and the, I I think they're they genuinely believe he can reclaim being Jason Bay, you know, I I, I or or at least a piece of Jason Bay. I don't think it's monetary with him. I think it was well, monetary I'm- with a guy like Luis Castillo or Oliver Perez. Or you know, but that I was think a different, with, remember that was a different administration. That no, absolutely, absolutely. Alderson has shown he's been willing to cut those guys, right? And that's a bit more money. That's why. But, that's one of the other reasons I don't think it's. I don't think it's monetary. Yeah. I think no, they no, genuinely believe he can reclaim. Uh, you know, reclaim some of his production, and and you. You just said something so wonderful <laughs> that that if it were to come to fruition, we'd be dancing in the streets, and I could wear that number forty four t shirt that I mistakenly bought three years ago. And that's you know if he start, somehow starts to play like Jason Bay again, this yeah, it's, it's almost hard to remember. You know, what's funny is I always liked Jason Bay as a player like a lot when he was with the Red Sox. So look, this guy's yeah. underrated. You know what a great oh, hitter that no one ever talks about. Him. And and. You know, I, I realized, I thought the Mets overpaid him when they signed him. But when they did sign him, I was like, hey, he's going to hit home runs. You know, it's going to be right. He doesn't hit home runs. No. I mean, yeah, it just, he, he, it's it's so weird. It's so he weird what's happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, he, he grounds out to the shortstop. Yeah. And just over and over again. So, so yeah, <laughs> if, if it does happen, it could happen. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. If it did, it would be the best thing. It would be right? very, and and the Mets yeah. offense would look unbelievable. Yes, it would. But but uh, I think they gotta. I mean, they gotta stop playing him against righties. Right? You gotta you, you massage that back. If he starts hitting, at this point, don't assume he's gonna start hitting. At this point, wait until he starts hitting. Right? Yep. And also, they're gonna run lefties out against the Mets every chance possible. Right. You so know, you team, team, those there's gonna be. That's right. There's going to be ample opportunity for him to play because teams are lining up lefties to to face the Mets because I think their record is what like nine and eighteen or something like that. I, I, I mean, I think they've been they've just been awful against lefties this year. Oh uh, yeah, but well, okay. they, yeah, go. I mean, you look at the way Collins used Daniel Murphy and Ike Davis when they were slumping. He did exactly that, right? He yep. he started benching Davis against all lefties. And then Davis finally started getting going a little bit, and now he plays against lefties a little bit more. I think, you know, it's about a lot of managing, a lot, a lot of what people say is important in managing is putting your players in the best position to succeed. And 
putting Jason Day up against a right-hander every day is, is not doing that. <laughs> is the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, a couple of things will wrap up and let you run. Thank you again, Ted, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, gut feeling. Okay, your gut. And we're not going to say if we had truth serum, because that's me and Cal's least favorite uh, currently used ridiculous cliche in the sports media. But uh, no, honestly, you, you, you are half a numbers guy, half a, a passionate guy. Uh, does this team compete for that second wild card spot, or uh, do they hover around 500, or is it a fade into Bolivia Mike Tyson style? I don't want to jinx anything. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's it's my gut feeling is always biased by what's happened recently. So right now, my gut is like, no way. But right. talk to me in two days if they win the next two games, and I'll be like, hell yes, they can. Why not? And 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 all up for it. Right now, gut is like, no. I mean, look at this bullpen, and look at that series they just had. But uh, I, I'm tickled. Okay, here's my last question for you, and going with your gut again. How many more times around the rotation do they go before Matt Harvey makes it here? Ooh, good question. Good um, question, Cal. I would guess someone made a, a really good point about this. Um, it was Toby, actually. It was, it was Toby. One of Toby's readers emailed him, pointed out that the Mets have the Mets have the Saturday game in you know in City Field. Mm-hmm. You have the pieces starting. The following start is in, is in Arizona, and the next two starts after that are in San Diego and San Francisco, which are great environments to pitch in and crappy offense. And right. so I would guess two starts for Miguel Batista, then Harvey joins the rotation. This is a guess. It is pure guess that that you hear Paul DiPodesi, you hear them say, we're going to put our pitchers and in, in, in our players in position to succeed early in their career. Uh, I would guess there's two turns through with Batista, and then Harvey joins the team on that on that first start of the in the, in the West Coast trip and makes his first start out there. Uh, rather than, I don't think it matters that much. I know he's prepared for it, but bring him up and throw him to the Wolves in New York with you know 60 members in the media and a scrum around his locker. Yeah, and and I think that start in Arizona looks awfully good. That, you, yeah. you think you'll get the start in our, I, I wouldn't be shocked, I a surprise, but Miguel Batista is such a great troll that I think Miguel <laughs> Batista will pitch really well on Saturday, Right. and you'll have to give him another start. Right. And and, and so that it'll be two starts. That would be my guess. Miguel, leave it to Miguel Batista to ruin everything. <laughs> um, uh, I love Miguel Batista. I, I know. He's just, I, I saw uh, uh, Flood's, uh, Patrick's, <laughs> Patrick's Twitter uh, icon with the, with oh, the, God, yeah, the, the we're doing the tuxedo with the hat and the baseball, and he like, <laughs> looks like levitating, like a magician levitating a baseball. Yeah, you yeah, can't, it's can't, like if, you, if somebody came to me and said, what sort of mock picture would you like to see? What sort of mock poster you know, would you like to see of Miguel Batista? What, what would you like? I would say yeah, uh, but, tuxedo. Uh, and not just the tuxedo, like late nineteenth century tuxedo. That's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> like he just stepped out of an Etzel. Right. And uh, and and uh, you know from uh, from hanging out with Homer Bailey. We have a running joke that Homer Bailey sounds like an old time baseball name. That's fair. 
I always have since the first time I picked him up in fantasy baseball and dropped him four days later. Uh, always Homer Bailey uh, is uh, tripping the light fantastic at the Copa. Okay. Um, <laughs> one thing, one last thing on the Batista thing. A couple weeks ago, uh, Ted, we were going to do a fun load on it too, but um, I, <laughs> it, it reminded me, that Batista picture reminded me of some of the posters that uh, they had in the 80s, the late 80s and early 90s for baseball players. And uh, I can't remember the website it was on, uh, but there was a great, just a great collection of all the awful sports posters. Oh, I've seen those, yeah. Um, I feel like, like it was that guy, John Boyce, you know him? Yes, I think that, uh, I, I think that was it. It was, oh, so choice. The, you know, the Mattingly Hitman, the, the Bash Brothers, the... Uh, the LT one is just awkward. I mean, so many of them are awkward. That My favorite is... was Herbeck and Brunanski, the hitmen. The hitmen. <laughs> and it's, just a, it's a great pair of dudes, to be honest. Right, right. in a poster. Tom Brunanski and Kim Herbeck. Right. Like um, what, mar- what marketing guy was like, you know what we need? Get me Brunanski and Herbeck. Too sweet. Right. We, we are going to sell some posters here, my friend. Yeah. I think I had one with Bo Jackson, like, that where he was like peeling back something in his arm and revealing like a machine underneath. <laughs> um, but it was like it wasn't exactly like those. It was like an illustrated poster of Bo Jackson. Yes, there was the uh, the Griffey, uh, the natural one, I think. Uh, Ken Griffey Jr. There was uh, there. I I was never. I was always a Sports Illustrated poster guy. The very basic white outlined. Yeah. Uh, you know, it looked like a looked like a baseball card, sort of those. And of course, I had Cal. You had this too. You had the uh, the Mets uh, collage one, right? Sure, I still have it. Rising Stars. You still have that one? Well, it's the 25th anniversary when in '86 when it came out with all the memorabilia for 25 years. And oh, okay. I wish I still one. had my, origi- my oh, original. You know what? I, was my 80- favorite poster. My favorite poster when I was a kid. Do you, maybe you guys probably remember this. They they had the '86 Mets. Caricature poster. It was like a. It was like a team. It was look, made to look like a team photo. Right. But it was all. It was all characters. I remember like, and it was like everybody was like sort of doing their thing. So like, Gary Carter was sort of <laughs> in the middle, and he he had a catcher's glove and he had a bar of ivory soap in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and it's a great poster. And like it's sort of like everybody, every different dude's like personality is is sort of uh, displayed in this in this one like illustrated poster. That it looks like the. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. It looks like the '86 Mets went to a bar mitzvah, and that was yeah, like one exactly, of the, exactly. <laughs> was one of the takeaways. Like they got they sat down for a caricature. Um, yeah, it's, it's some of these posters, I, I got, boy, I gotta find that site again because some of them are, are downright uncomfortable. Like some of them, like when they were shooting them, had to be like, yeah, no, we want you to have your shirt open, and and uh, we're gonna grease up your chest a little bit, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna. <laughs> We're going to bring in a bunch of uh, scantily clad uh, men, and you're going to be standing over them as if you've conquered them. And uh, no, it's going to be good. It's going to be like a, like a 300 really photo shoot. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. Trust me, Kirby Puckett. You're going to love this. <laughs> you're going to absolutely yeah. love this. Well, that was like the one, the picture from Sports Illustrated of the five shortstops in the '90s. Oh boy! Oh God! All sitting, yeah, that's recently resurfaced. <laughs> No shirt. And, and Leo Gomez with his, his concave chest. And Alex, <laughs> the other Alex Gonzalez, not right. the one who was still playing a couple of years ago, like the, uh, the other one, 
was in there. Like, and you're like, who? and now you look at it, and you're like, who is this guy with Jeter and right. and Ray Ordonez? Yeah. I think it's the wrong Alex Gonzalez. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, Ted, thanks for the time, pal. Uh, really appreciate it. Promise uh, you'll come on again soon. And uh, everybody right. who's listening to us, check out the Mostly Mets podcast, which is on iTunes. You guys are on iTunes. Go to mostly or go to iTunes, search for Mostly Mets, and you can find it there. And you guys are sponsored now. We are by by Caesars. Sponsored, nice. I I, I love you. Uh, you guys reading the promos. It's very very good. It's my it's it's the highlight of my week. <laughs> Seriously though, uh in, in all honesty, two things. One, tell Toby uh hi that he has done a fantastic job with uh Harvey and all the Harvey Coupla. He has been a absolute go to guy and of course Toby does the minor league blog anyway, but he has been a voice of reason and calm in a time of <laughs> ridiculousness. So tell Toby yeah, he, good job. He is the best for that. He has a very uh, I I'm so down on on most prospects coverage, but I like Toby's not just because he's my friend and he's on our websites and it benefits me to like him, but also because he has the most reasonable take. Like he's always reasonable. He, really like, does. he understands it and he, he's level headed, and, and that's what you need. You need like not every one of these guys is going to come up and be a star, and yep. I think and you need to understand that when you're reading about prospects. Yep, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff he had on his site uh, regarding Harvey was was excellent. So uh, please give Toby a big thumbs up from us. And so check out Ted's uh, podcast, and of course uh, TedQuarters.net, correct? Yes. And uh, we will talk to you down the road uh, when the Mets are uh, in the wild card. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. Take care, Thanks, pal. Ted. Adios. All right. So uh, Ted Berg. Good stuff. He will receive the home version of the RPG clicking. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was great, Cal. That was awesome. You know, I, I, I love I love his his take on consciously blocking everyone out because it's it really is for him, maybe it was easier. For me it's it's downright near impossible. I've I've started, I mean I'm down to only following only one Met beat writer. I got rid of everybody else just because wow. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. Do, I couldn't deal with it anymore, and uh, just remove the element from my life. I don't blame you. I I still follow them, and uh, I. You know what? I had a big. Uh, before we get to uh, PJ in the fun load, I think we're playing a game in the fun load. By the way, Cal. Ooh. I think I'm not, I'm not prepared for that. I am. <laughs> wait! No! No! Not yet! No! Wait! Wait! No! Wait! Kill the music! Is that why we got the email to wear track pants and sneakers <laughs> and headbands? Well, I don't, I don't, didn't get it. Right. Uh, I, 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 we got to talk about the San Antonio Holmes thing really quick. Okay, got we it. have to because, um, and for those of you who don't know, outside of the New York market, um, uh, San Antonio Holmes giving an interview to Dave Damashek on the NFL podcast, not talking to the New York media. By the way, that's that's key here. Important he wasn't to note that. Yeah, he was not talking to the New York media. He was not giving an interview. He was not. To, he was on a NFL podcast when he made comments about how the New York media uh, should get on, be on our team, and and stop writing such negative stuff. Stop focusing on only the negative. Focus on the positive more. And was lambasted is the best way I can put it 
uh, by uh, media members, uh, New York media members on Twitter, uh, in columns. Uh, we're talking about guys like Rich Smith, uh Brian Costello uh, from the New York Post. Um, I actually got into a little bit of a Twitter conversation with Costello uh, about this from the New York Post because I felt that they were being a little thin-skinned. Uh, and they don't they don't care for it when uh, one of the athletes they cover actually threw you know turns it around on them and says uh, you know uh, it critiques how they're doing their job you know what I mean so uh, and they didn't care for that either surprisingly <laughs> they didn't care for me critiquing them about not being able to take a critique um, I think that just two things I want to point out here Cal one this is an absolute losing battle. Uh, Chad Pennington tried to fight this battle with the New York media and lost. Um, Santonio Holmes, who's not nearly, unfortunately, erudite and, and uh, uh, sort of uh, as well-spoken as Chad or maybe able to express himself as well as Chad Pennington is, um, is certainly not going to win this battle. Plus, uh, Santonio Holmes has a few strikes already up on the big board here on the feud. Um, but... I almost went out and bought a 10 jersey for this because he's right. He's absolutely right. He's right in specific about the Jets. He was not asking the beat writers to have pom-poms or be cheerleaders like uh, Ralph Vecchiano. Okay, He was asking them to stop focusing on a negative story from six months ago. Stop. We've answered it. Stop. Why do you continue to come in here and ask me about something that I've already told you is no longer an issue? Right. And I got to give credit to my brother, and my brother Scott, who's a very big, uh, very big Jet fan, and he was actually uh, well. First, Cal, let me give credit to the Jets blog, which is on the SNY.TV series of blogs, the same place that Ted Berg is. And Brian Bassett and his guys over there, Brian wrote a great piece today on the jetsblog.com about Holmes and about what it means and about how it relates to the media and about the narrative of negativity with the Jets. And I think my brother summed it up nicely when he said, it's not a matter of only reporting the negative. It's a matter of the narrative is the Jets are dysfunctional. That has been the narrative since January, since the on since New Year's Day. Uh, it has been perpetuated throughout the off season, and now writers are just trying to shoehorn in any story they have into that narrative. And what Holmes was trying to say is enough, enough. We're all going to get along great. It's a new season. Let's move on. And uh, the writers didn't care for that. Now, did you think what he was doing was lecturing the New York uh, no. media on journalism? No, no I, didn't, I didn't take it as lecturing. I took it as someone who's, who's just tired of hearing it. And it's funny, he's only been here for a couple of years. He hasn't been here for the number of years that we've been here dealing with it. Um, he's tired of hearing it. And I don't blame him. And it makes, you know... As hard as it is, like Ted was talking about, as hard as it is for us to block it out, it's probably 
not that easy for them to block it out because these guys are in their face every single day fostering the negative story. Well, you know, they're, they're focusing... Me, they're, right, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, but they're, they're focusing on, on the negative aspect of everything. It's, it's, you know, X's and O's are not selling stories. It's and the TMZ aspect of it that's right. telling the story. And they're focusing on a negative from seven months ago. That's that, besides the point. That yeah. both players have told you is over. It's over. There's no issue anymore. There, there, there wasn't an issue even when you made it an issue. Mm-hmm. One of the things Samidi tweeted in, in defense of his article today that ripped San, uh, San Antonio Holmes to shreds was that, well, I didn't do this. I wasn't the one who didn't talk to the media the day after – uh, you know, it didn't talk about it till April or whatever. Didn't address it. You know, if he had just addressed it right away, uh, we wouldn't be doing this. Really? Well, he addressed it in April. That's three months ago. That's three months ago. Why are you still asking me about it at OTAs? He addressed it three months ago. You know, so don't give me this. Uh, Samini uh, tweeted. I. I you think I wanted to get up and write about Santonio San Holmes today? He opened his mouth. Oh, oh, okay. I think you did. I think you're ecstatic that he opened his mouth. And I think you did want to write about Santonio San Holmes today. And if you didn't write about Santonio San Holmes, you were going to write about Darrell Reeves holding out. It's just, you know what? Holmes can't win. But go read that, that Bassett piece, Cal. The other thing he did for oh, yeah, you, right, yeah. Wait, Right, he made the point about Holmes being used to Pittsburgh and and the Steelers and the, the media in Pittsburgh, who is much more on the player's side. You know, who... who uh, I thought it was a great piece. I thought it was a good article. I agree. I, I, I think... It, it, was a, it was a good article because it, it kind of it kinda gave you both sides of it. You know, they 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 took Santonio San Holmes to task. No, he did yeah. for making yeah. that comment. It wasn't just it wasn't just a blind bash the media piece. It was taking Santonio San Holmes to task for making the comments and letting him know it was a losing battle. You know, but also talking about the media and and how it's been skinned today. And you know, this sure is a case of of dishing it but not being able to take it. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think Chad Pennington was... Le- I thought what Chad Pennington did years ago was more lecturing the media on how to do their jobs than Santonio San Holmes saying, hey, you know what, why are you constantly tearing us down? Like, that's what he means by be on our team. Mm-hmm. Be on our team means this happened seven months ago. It's over. Why are you still writing about it? Why are you still asking me about it in July? So, I, you know what, good for... Ed- <laughs> Cal has has a has a a team in recent memory ever needed the next season to start more than the 2012 Jets. Well, to put 11 yeah. and the off season behind them. Yes and no because in about a week and a half when training camp starts. No, no, I'm talking the regular season. I not the training the, camp. No, but Steve, you're right. Not training camp saying, when the regular for the games to start. So that they can be taken, they, so that everybody can focus on the guy standing on the side. That's it. Just waiting for number fifteen to come into the game every single play. 
that's but they, they I don't care about that. They still have to play the game. They get to play the game. I guess at least at that point it's and put last year behind them. And Cal, if they come out and win the first four games of the season, not going to make a difference. Uh, it shouldn't. You know, I'm just saying they they need <laughs> for the games to count and to start the 2012 regular season more than any team I can remember. Because tra- you're right, training camp hasn't even started yet. No. And that's going to be cycles and jugglers. Yeah, and, please. There's contortionists. Know. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Dancing girls. Acro- Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, they'll be there. What circus are you going to? <laughs> that's not the circus. That's not the circus. Oh. Well, next week. Training camp starts next week. Next week, yes. The Mets are almost getting us to training camp. Hey, uh, lastly, how about David Rice? He was, you know, oh man, he hit the home run last night. I, again, they were losing, so it didn't do anything. But he hit the home run in the ninth inning last night. He hit a home run today to get on the board first against Gio Gonzalez. And again, I mean, you talk about a must-win game. First and inning, first inning, Torres gets on on an infield hit to the second baseman. First pitch, and then the first pitch right saw he hit a home run, and just like that, it's two nothing. Yep. And you've given your best pitcher a lead. Yeah, and then he played. He played, rem- and then he hit another home run. Right, <laughs> then he hit another three-run home run. Yeah, it's just you know, which they needed they, every every bit of for the sake of hitting home runs. And then he played a, just a tremendous defense, which he's been doing all season. Yeah. But really, like you could see that he stepped it up today. Yep. In a game that they needed to win, he just stepped it up, and and he just continues. You, you know, you you talk about the other shoe with the team. I've been waiting for that other shoe with him. I've been waiting for him to go into that big, right. you know, like three for 30, and he's striking out 15 times. And, I mean, they're 100 games in, and he's, and he's not there. So, And, you know, it, it, uh, this is what I was going to say, too. I don't see it in his swing. No, 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 no. He looks completely different. I was talking to uh, Jimmy, my buddy Jimmy, about this, real big Met fan. We were talking about about 20 games ago, maybe 15 games ago. We were just saying – you have no comparison to the guy he was the last three years and the hitter he is now, except to go back to 2008. Like, it's remarkable. He's gone completely back. He looks nothing like the, the hitter he was last year. He's not chasing thing, He's not chasing pitches. And they're still trying to get him out away. They're still trying to, to, to throw him breaking stuff away. They're trying to get going, him to chase. He's going with the pitch. He's hitting the ball to right field with authority, like he completely re reinvented himself. Well, you, the, the, it's the remarkable thing, when you think about it. Two thousand eight was the last really good season that he had before yes. now, and and even this is putting that one in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Two thousand nine was his first year at City Field, and he was all screwed up by the park playing there for the first time. Yep. Two thousand ten, he got hit in the head by Matt Kane. <laughs> yeah, that screwed him up. And no, that was, last, that was that was that was oh nine. Was it was it still oh nine? It was on my wedding day. It was oh nine, yeah. It was on August August fifteenth, oh nine. Yeah, you're right. All right, so then I could, uh, forget forget my I'm point. Never, I'll never forget he got hit it was that day, it was that Saturday night. We were uh in Brooklyn celebrating my wedding nice. And uh I think I think somebody told that I think somebody told me that at the wedding. Anyway. Sorry, but no, no I, I don't. I I remember no, finding out at the two, wedding. Right, 2010, he had a, a another injury, did he not? 
I, I don't I don't think he was hurt in 2010. I thought he had the the he got beamed in 10. But then last year he had the broken back. Right. And 2010 he was not hurt. He hit 300, but he struck out 168 times. That's right. So yeah, you're right. He has he has re reinvented himself. Yeah. And I think what he's just you know every, you heard a lot of he likes to tinker. And right. Daniel Murphy's famous for that. They like to tinker and tinker and tinker. And 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 I've just. Since I've been watching David Wright all season, I haven't seen him stray from anything since day one of the season. Yep. And I think that that consistency is what helped. And, and, and maybe give a little credit to Dave Hudgens, too. Yep. Maybe Hudgens is helping him out. Just so nice to watch today. Just so nice. Yep. All right, let's do this, Peej. Let's do this. Let's do this. It is time for the... <laughs> Timely as always. <laughs> Perfectly... <laughs> yes, it's time for the RT Fun Mode with your host, the Bishop Cheese McCheesy. Cheesy! And I put a teeth first. <laughs> We're going to play a little game. A game that you're familiar with. The rules have changed. you remember playing overrated, underrated, and rated? Yes, I do. Do you, Bri? I, I do, but I didn't think you cared for that game, PJ. Because it sucked. Okay. <laughs> but I found a way to change that, a way to improve that. I changed the name. Oh, boy. And when I changed the name, it hit me like a lightning bolt. The name of the game is overrated. Underrated and, for love's sake, and solid. Sake. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some topics real quick, and you got to let me know: is it overrated? Is it underrated? And now don't say rated. You say solid. Solid as a rock. Oh boy! <laughs> wow, you had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, I'm ready. The name of the game is Solid. Yeah. Do I do I get to be Ashford or Simpson in this game? You oh, you may answer in character. <laughs> that would be awesome. Thank you. We're gonna answer in character, no problem. All right. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Whoever wants to answer can answer. Number one, R.A. Dickey. Oh, okay. Um, right. Right. Uh, solid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little overrated. A little overrated. That's good. Right now. Number two. Number two, you can give a reason if you want to, but if not, we're going to go right through it. Let's just keep going. All right, number two, Victor Cruz. Overrated. Even with the book? Especially with the book. All right. Solid. Somebody Solid. should introduce. Uh, somebody should introduce him to Steve Smith. Wow. 
uh, his giant brethren from a couple years ago who had 112 catches and made a Pro Bowl. I'm glad he wrote the book. I'm I'm glad he wrote the book. Licorice, all sorts. Wait, what? You know what what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes. The little licorice pieces, some of them have beads, some of them don't. Some of them are striped. Yeah. Overrated. Overrated. And disgusting. Vastly. I don't care for for Annex. For me, baby, solid. Solid. (laughs) PJ likes his licorice. Stay with the candy for a second. Mary Jane. Ooh. Underrated. Underrated. Very good. You answered that correctly. <laughs> Judges Take a quick so left. Underrated. Here we go. Suburbia question. The minivan. Oh. We come at this from different perspectives. <laughs> That's correct. Cal, do you have one? You don't. I have a crossover. Okay. Good enough. EJ, you have one. Minivan is solid. Yeah, you're in love with that thing. Yeah. I say underrated. I'm gonna wow. go I'm gonna go with high. solid. I'm gonna go with solid. Very good. Let's go back to sports. Jeremy Lynn. Overrated. oh my gosh. What, what comes after overrated? Yeah, what what can we do? What about abomination? <laughs> you wanna <laughs> What's eleven on this app? Ah, enough said. <laughs> All right. Here's a triple shot. All right. Okay. The Eagles, the band, the Eagles, the team, the Eagle, the bird. Overrated, solid, underrated. Very good. Cal? I think Cal agrees. What order did it go in? The (laughs) Eagle, the band, the Eagles, the team, the Eagle, the bird. Overrated. 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 Oh! <laughs> wow. Wow. Conservationist cow comes out. <laughs> We're not talking bald eagle, are we? It could be any eagle you want. Okay. Then I'll stick with uh, underrated. You could salute later. <laughs> Coming to the end here. Shows about sharks. Oh, Underrated. Actually, you know what? No, I'd like to change my answer to solid. That's right. <laughs> Thank you, Ash. I say, I say, I'm going to say solid. I'm going to say solid, except for the show Shark Tank, which is underrated. Oh, so you okay. <laughs> underrated there. Okay. So tune and into we, Shark Tank Tuesdays and 9 p.m. <laughs> and as we head towards our segue, final question. Classic arcade game. Oh, man. Classic arcade games. Overrated. Underrated. What? I'm going overrated. Enough now with with your Frogger. Enough. This is, well, I wanted to know. You're of a certain age group where this applies. Enough. Cal. Solid. I solid. just love how they keep saying solid in this song. Cal, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you gave that a begrudging solid. Why? I gave it a begrudging I was begrudging your overrated. Why? You think... You got I a think, problem with my overrated? I do. I think 80s vintage arcade games are awesome. Too much already, though, now. Awesome. Oh, come on. 
Is it better than World of Warcraft or something like that? Sometimes it's to our fun load, because I knew you guys would argue about it. <laughs> wow. Did you do a focus group on us or something? <laughs> Holy mackerel. He went down to the mall with a survey about Cal and Tempete. We asked a hundred people. Family Feud. <laughs> Overrated, <laughs> underrated, or solid? So the main topic is, as we leave solid, we'll do we'll do another solid next week. Okay. Solid. The video games of our youth. Give me a top five. As we're into wow. time now. Pants optional. Uh, they're long gone. <laughs> Cal took his pants off when we were <laughs> nine minutes into the show. Um, Jeremy Lin. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about video games now. Top five all-time 80s, we're talking 80s arcade games. Why do I feel like your youth could extend all the way up to college? It's fine. I feel like TJ is is playing the role of, like, Hot 97 from 1988. Like a DJ at 2 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) Give me a call now, night people. I know I ain't here by myself. <laughs> Why is your uh, your 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 1987 DJ uh, from the South and 70? Because or, I like or Tim Billy Reed. Bob Thornton. Or Billy it's Bob based Thornton. on Tim Reed. That's what. <laughs> right, being a slide trap. That's who I'm that's envisioning. Right. <laughs> that's that's it. He's the light guy. Give me a call now, people. <laughs> Venus slide trap. Oh, better name. Better name on a sitcom. Tremendous. Absolutely. Johnny Johnny Fever. Pretty good too. Les Nessman. Les Nessman. Yep. Yeah, the underrated. reason I ask you, the reason I ask you about video games yeah. is because everybody is in our age group is sort of common with video games, but people come at it from different gaming systems. And yeah. and people have certain games in their blood. You know well, what I mean? I- yeah, and I think it's also a phenomenon that'll never really exist again. Like we've tech- technologically sort of passed it, where you know everybody was playing Pac-Man. Like that was a big deal. You know, like it was just it was a it was a, I think it was a sort of cultural phenomenon that were were passed. It's like well, yeah, well, Pac-Man or, was sort of ubiquitous. But then again, if you had a C64, see, I right. didn't. I had an Atari 800, so I, I we started to get different lists of games, and they were both very important to us. Right. See, we had a game like I I can't I don't know if I can put it in my top five, but a game like Castle Wolfenstein for Commodore 64 mm-hmm. was was incredible. It was like you know, but then you, you know, do you go Atari 2600 and you talk about Pitfall or you talk about? Uh, well, I can I'm gonna I'm gonna take this one first. I'm gonna give you five top. Five games, and they're going to span the systems. Wow. So I got five different games from five different systems. Cal is a pro. You know, please. Johnny Fever, go for it. What's he doing on this show? Jeez. (laughs) Slumming. Nah, hey. (laughs) Too kind. No, here's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with with the Atari 2600. He had Pitfall. Mm -hmm. 
favorite game on the Atari 2600. After that, I moved on to the uh, the um, ColecoVision. Wow, a brick system. <laughs> we had a ColecoVision. My favorite game on ColecoVision, Donkey Kong. Wow, tremendous. Yeah, okay. it was good on it, yeah. From Donkey Kong on the ColecoVision, we moved to the Commodore 64 in a game I don't know if you guys know called Montezuma's Revenge. Yes. Oh, my God, I love that game. Great game, right? I thought that's on my list, yeah. <laughs> I know, PJ's, I still know the PJ's music. Do you the music? I, I was trying to find the music. the music online. I couldn't find it. I just remember the game, and it was just awesome. Yeah. Wait, it was the music from Match, match Game? Wow. Um, number four on the on regular Nintendo NES system, Mario Brothers. The original, not Super Mario Brothers, the original Mario oh, Brothers. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. That, that's like a that, Like that better than, than Super Mario Brothers, which my kids play now on their Nintendo DS. Mm-hmm. You're a purist. That's all right. Purist. And then the last game, going to um, Sega Genesis, was NHL Hockey. 94, 90, 93, 93, 94, 94, whatever the year, you know, those, those are my five all time on, on an Island with five different games. <laughs> let me, let me ask Cal in the, in the very, in the very likely scenario that you wind up stranded in the desert Island. Right. A side question that I also want to ask, uh, yes. um, which system, do you think was the first reasonable system where you could play a sports game? I mean, Atari Twenty Six Hundred had baseball, but come on, it was ridiculous. the first. The Nintendo. first one was the first yeah. reasonable sports game. Nintendo, Nintendo, Tecmo Bowl on Nintendo. Tecmo Bowl or Baseball Stars. Baseball Stars or Baseball Stars, and Tecmo Bowl is. If I'm making any sort of list, I I, I think I can do mine. They're all home gaming ones. So I, I think I can make my list. I'm not going to put Castle Wolfenstein on there because it was very, very big. We we had a Commodore 64. I had an Atari 2600. And then I went right to a Nintendo. You know, right from Atari 2600 to a Nintendo system. And I have to put the number one game is Super Mario Brothers. Um, I spent uh, hours in the bowling alley. Thank you. Dun, 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 dun. We used to, my brother uh, Kevin, uh, my buddy Kevin and I used to joke that we would sing that when we were going to sleep. Like, you would just hum that. Like, yeah. we had played so much. I used to lie to my grandmother uh, at age, you know, 12 or so, or 13, to go around the corner to play Super Mario Brothers uh, to the bowling alley around the corner from my house. Um, and tell her, because I was forbidden to play the game, I got grounded from Super Mario Brothers. Um, well, Super and Mario so, Brothers is the kind of game that breeds an obsession. Yes, and so we would we would lie to my grandmother and say we ran into a friend because you know that's what twelve year olds do. Like, hey, I ran into a buddy around the corner and we hung out and we would play Super Mario Brothers. So I'm putting Super Mario Brothers there uh, without a doubt. When I got the Nintendo system, it was like the greatest thing. I got it uh, for Christmas. I think it was thirteen. Uh, tremendous. Tremendous. Super Mario Brothers, without a doubt. I was obsessed. It was 
It was uncomfortable. Then I'm going to put RBI Baseball in there, too. Both the arcade version and the Nintendo version. Uh, huge RBI Baseball fan. Always played with the Cubs, so I could play with Kingman. Um, then I'm going to throw um, a little different one at you. I'm going to throw um, uh, Baseball Stars in there. Have to. Oh, that's SNK Baseball Stars. Uh, Kevin uh, and I, my friend Kevin and I, and his brother Tom played Seasons. I actually quit Toys R Us. Quit my job at Toys R Us in high school to play a game of SNK Baseball Stars. <laughs> because I had a game scheduled to play with Kevin. And I called into my my shift at Toys R Us and quit to play that game. Okay. I lost. In, I, I lost in the ninth inning. That was one of the first games, Pedro, you could put in a name for a player. But only six characters. I think it was only six. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you <laughs> could actually name put, Johnson. You were out. You could, well, I, actually, you know what, Cal? I'm not thinking of. I'm thinking of Baseball Simulator 2000. Oh, that's different. Different game. Ooh, that was before SNK Baseball Stars. So Baseball Simulator 2000, where you could play in space, of course. <laughs> of course. One of the, you have the choice of six places to play, and one of them was space. Yeah. So that's my fourth game, right? Yeah, that's my fourth game. And then you know what, Cal? I'm putting NHL '93, '94 in there. I skipped classes in college. Like if no. it was, if it, and and I'd have to give honorary mention to a Madden in there, obviously. But Just, see, for me, Madden didn't really hit until later on. No, in, in literally my uh, junior and senior year of college, I skipped classes. Like, we would wake up and it would be raining and be like, eh, I can't walk to class today. Uh, and plus, we can play NHL 94 for the next five hours. Yeah. Uh, so there's 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 my five. Let's That's have nice. it, Beach. We're running out of time. Let's have it. We're out of time? I said we're running out of time. I didn't say we're out of time. I said we're running oh, out of time. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't hear the running part. <laughs> you get plenty of time, Peach. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, I like I liked what Cal just did there going by system. I think that was uh, that's the way to do it. Uh, we had a 2600, and uh, I got more joy out of Pitfall than any other game. That was, that was just one of the... There it is. Uh, uh, then we moved on to the Atari 800. You were the one. I was the guy. We thought, you know, who, you know, you went from Atari. The next system was an Atari. We didn't know that the rest of the country was going to Commodore. We were not aware. We didn't get the letter. <laughs> um, but uh, on the Atari 800, and the C64 had this too, uh, uh, the text adventure, uh, Zork. Do you remember Zork? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, I was absolutely crazy about Zork. That was just something else. And in terms of games with graphics, there was a really funny uh, game. I think we talked about it once, called Bruce Lee. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Bruce Lee just absolutely killed me. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that game. They had that on the C64, too. Yeah, Bruce Lee was great. Oh, my goodness. He had a sumo wrestler, and he was green. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That was awesome. Racially insensitive. Oh, I, <laughs> it's a little bit racist, man. Oh um, boy! And I could ended not make, up taking that system to college. Could not make that game today, by the way. You could not make that game today. Couldn't. 
It's like and in college battles of video games. You could not make that game today. <laughs> no, you couldn't. But I, but uh, you can get a ROM of it online. No oh, boy, gosh! You, you can download. You can play it on your laptop if you want. That's the game. It was really it was really good. So in in college, that was actually the first place I actually had a Nintendo. I bought it used off of a buddy of ours. Um, and there was a game he gave me fifteen or sixteen games when I bought it. And one of the games was called Rygar. Oh boy. Which was which was this sort of He Man kind of game where you were just this muscular dude running through the world. It was like a side scroller and you, you were you were rescuing things and killing things to rescue other things and it went on and on and on and on and on and it's one of the reasons my GPA was so low <laughs> that that first year of college uh was Rygar. And then uh, the game that I think solidified my lifelong friendship with your brother, and he may attest to this, uh, well, actually, it was two games. We started with Contra. 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 Up, up, down, yeah. down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, start. Flex, select, start. What was it? Uh, they, they were, you had to hit select before you hit start. Select, you start. 30 yeah. lives? Yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, B-A, <laughs> People rattle off that like like uh, people just about five years older than us can rattle off the uh, Mc, um, the Big Mac song. Yes, two all beef patty, special sausage, cheese yeah. pickles, onions, and sesame seed bun. Right. I'm an old soul. It's a yeah, it's a cultural thing. So yeah, me me and Scott playing Contra. I mean, just wow. It doesn't get any better than that. Tremendous! Holy cow! Holy mackerel! Contra. There's so many. You know. This you is, can't limit it to five. Sort of I know you can't, but you I mean, you know, podcast on this. Like this that's is, why I, I didn't want it to become a whole podcast. No, I'm saying we could do three. This that's fantastic. You know, if we ever do do that podcast, we have to have Scott call it. Oh, we could talk for I think, hours. Yeah, I don't. I don't think my brother has been greatly affected by the video game. <laughs> greatly, greatly your brother, your brother brought up the the Sega Genesis uh, with the. Uh, with the the CD-ROM player when the CD-ROM was brand new, mm-hmm. and it had this murder mystery game with like the first motion capture video ever. Yes, it was oh about God. a sleepover, and it starred Dana Plato. Yes, from different <laughs> strokes, Mackerel. being murdered. Yes. Whoa! My gosh, I wish I could remember that game. I, uh, I, I, I remember, Ege. I, I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. Wow. I mean, we were blown away by this stuff. <laughs> How could you not be? You sit there and like you make these statements. It's never going to get any better than this. This is we the most were... high tech system ever. Game over, man. We are through the looking glass here, people. Right. <laughs> and then something <laughs> would come out two weeks later. Oh my god. <laughs> well, that was that was always Dragon's Lair. I mean, Dragon's Lair was. Oh. You, you know, you talked about playing it recently. I just beat it for the first time in my life. I beat that game on the iPad. Thank God. <laughs> Dragon's Lair is was was revolutionary. Oh wow! Hey, Peach. We are you know we are good friends with the programmer of that game. Well, that... with the son of the programmer of that. Game. Peach, I, I tell you what. First, uh, first version of you taking over the fun load. Solid. Solid, baby. Solid. Solid. All right, let's wrap it. Uh, PJ, final unload. Final unload. Very quickly, Fred Willard. I mean, you know, 
what happened happened. What's ironic is that he's got a movie coming out uh, that's called The Yank. But the other thing that happened uh, was uh, Pete Townsend of The Who said the most disgusting and disturbing thing I've ever heard about Mick Jagger. And, and don't ever say that again. Don't ever say it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go look it up. But don't you ever say that again. Nice. Watch your mouth. You watch you watch your mouth. Okay, I'm going to take uh, my final unload and then Cal will go. My final unload is uh, 25 years ago uh, this week, <clears throat> a little album came out called Appetite for Destruction, which uh, my brother reminded me of tonight just to make me feel like 100, as if our 20-year reunion, which is Saturday night, 20-year high school reunion, isn't making me feel old enough. 25 years ago this week, Appetite for Destruction came out. One of the first CDs I ever got, Camille Fusco gave it to me, uh, inexplicably. Uh, and uh, I put it on, and I was uh, forever changed with music. I like Usual Illusion 1 probably better, but uh, happy birthday. Happy 25th birthday, Appetite. I'm old. Cal, final on those. Speaking of 25, uh, 25 games of Linsanity, they were glorious 25 games, 25 games that got me back into basketball for the first time in years. Thank you, Jeremy Lin, for those 25 games, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side with Houston. We'll miss That's him. it. That's all I got. Hey, great show. Special thanks to Ted Berg again uh, from SNY.TV, TedQuarters.net, and the Mostly Mets podcast. For PJ, Cal, I'm Steve. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.